You are listening to The New Prisoners. A copy of each week's monologue and source list are available on our Minds page and Substack. Check out our video content on BitChute, Odyssey, Rumble, and Brighteon. For audio versions, you can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, and many others. Make sure to like and subscribe wherever you find us, and join the conversation by leaving your comments wherever you can. You can follow The New Prisoners and The New Prisoner Number 6 on Instagram and The New Prisoner Number 6 on Gab or at New Prisoner 6 on Twitter. If you would like to be a guest, please email the new prisoner number 6 at protonmail.com and provide a brief description of the topic or topics that you would like to discuss, and a screener will contact you. You can always choose to appear anonymously. You can now donate to The New Prisoners through anchor.fm slash the new prisoner number six slash support with a monthly donation of 99 cents, 4.99, or 9.99. We also have a subscribe store where you can make a one-time or recurring contribution at subscribestar.com slash the hyphen new hyphen prisoners. You can also donate both US dollars and crypto to us on Mines and Odyssey. All donations go towards studio upgrades to make more content and advertising to spread the word about the show. Every amount is appreciated. Now let's get on with the show. An interesting thing happened the other night while John Henry and I were recording this episode. Right as we were ending our conversation, a listener sent me this video from a mass shooting that had just happened that evening in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. What made it interesting for us is that John Henry and I had decided to focus our attention for that show on the New York subway shooting and the FBI and DOJ's failures. Then... Another horrific shooting occurs, and we have cell phone footage dropped in our lap from inside of the building that the shooters were apparently targeting. For those of us that follow these sort of issues, mass shootings like this occur often in parts around the country. Hell, the city of Chicago is known worldwide for them. You are more likely to be shot in a city run by Democrats and even shitty fact checks have to admit it and make excuses for it. But when it comes to policy in this country, it is the gun policies of those cities that sticks out when you see the most draconian measures resulting in the worst gun violence. And that is the pattern we always see when it comes to government involvement. We could spend the next few moments exploring gun violence policy, and the Constitution, but you can hit up Liberty Conspiracy and Guard Goldsmith will have something for you there, but I wanted to focus on something even more ubiquitous this time. I want to talk about death. For those of you that have been listening for a while, you know that John Henry and I are huge metalheads. This past week, I found myself listening to a bit of the new Meshuggah, but I really have been enjoying the new Mastodon album particularly the track called Sickle and Peace 
of which the chorus's lyrics are, Death comes and brings with him sickle and peace. Shelter from storms come with long flowing robes. I'm sure there are many ways one can interpret those words, but I think they explain beautifully what our voices at the New Prisoners and many others in the Liberty Movement, like the aforementioned Guard Goldsmith, have been saying. When we ask for the government's protection, we will most certainly create other issues that will cause us harm. Maybe even ones greater than the problem that we asked them to fix in the first place. See the pattern? Because we do. There really isn't a political issue one can raise that doesn't show an instance where the government's intervention doesn't cause an equal or opposite effect. This isn't even exclusive to government, though. It can be applied to health, from medicine to behavioral therapies. It can be seen in environmental issues like the use of species to solve one problem but become invasive, or outlawing slash and burn practices that look primitive to the masses, but their banning actually results in more forest fires. You see, the problem is man made. Our interventions will always create ripples that we cannot control. Because we are not the water, but the stones dropped into it. Every breath, every second, every synapse, and every fraction even much smaller can create a ripple that affects all of that around us. Good, bad, indifferent, but we are always creating new ripples in time. Our obsession on controlling them after the fact may be a sign of our guilt as a culture. Guilt for our hypocrisy and the death that we have caused. One that we can't even put a number on. Case in point, I asked Gar the other day on Twitter, if the U.S. government had to pay a financial penalty for every unborn life it has terminated, how big would the tab be? Our friend Crypto Man chimed in and said, probably at least the size of the U.S. government's debt. And I responded by saying, a large sum indeed, my friend. That would have to be the first installment because that's just what they spend causing all the death and destruction. We're all paying the tab. One way or another, the suffering in our countries from the violence I spoke of at the beginning here to inflation. We are paying for the sins of our representative government. The fortunate thing about life and the constant creation of ripples is that we have the free will to choose how we strike the water sometimes. It's not an exact science, and even the best divers in the world can tell you, if they're not dead from myocarditis in the next few years, but I digress. 
when we make the decision to act, we have the ability to judge from past experiences how to make less of an impact or more. We can choose to make gentle rings that slowly rock a baby to sleep, or we can be the fat guy emptying out the pool with a cannonball. Government is that fat guy, and he ain't ever going to be the diver Florian de Gorey was, no matter how much practice we give it. I guess my point with death is that during life, we can change how we finally meet it and those around us each moment. I want all of you listening to this to make a conscious effort to control your own ripples in time. Not some government bureaucrat or anyone else for that matter. If we can all focus individually on the results of our actions and the harm they cause, the consciousness of that negative effect, that evil, will surely affect the choices of those in tune with something higher. But regardless of who sees or feels that effect, it is a responsibility of those who do to accept the message and to straighten out their body and soul so that all the others sitting poolside can see how it's done when it's our turn to take the dive. Okay, I'm number six, and this is The New Prisoners, and I'm here with John Henry. And in this episode, man, we're going to be talking about the DOJ. Uh, I know we've had uh, several episodes of this podcast thus far. We've talked a lot about different stories for the past few months since we started here at The New Prisoners about the DOJ, but I wanted to, uh, I wanted to give them some more time <laughs> this week <laughs> uh, because they they've had a they've had a banner fucking week john henry why don't why don't you say hello to the people and let's let's tear into this uh uh main topic with the doj this week <laughs> what's up everybody welcome back to the end of the world apocalypse special yeah you know um we've come to realize that in every way shape and form our government is a complete criminal enterprise which is super exciting a uh, lot of fun stuff to talk about today. So put on those tinfoil hats, strap on your seatbelt. Let's get at it. Okay. So the one of the main reasons why I wanted to talk about the DOJ this week, folks, is this story. Um, I have this from the Daily Hatch. Um, this is from Fred Lucas, uh, published April 14th. FBI and the tech giants miss New York subway shooting suspects hateful social media trail. Now, I wanted to bring this to light because not not to not to um sort of minimize the harm or anything that was done during these types of shootings or these massacres and other things that occur. Like I, I just want everybody in our audience to know if you're new, which we have a few new uh subscribers this week as well. Um we've been growing uh, massively over the past month. I think we've added like another third of our whole total audience within the past month itself, John Henry. We, we have really um, picked up steam here and gathered a lot new, uh, a lot of new people uh, to join the podcast. So I just want to explain to everybody, um, all of our condolences and, and our hearts and things like that go out to 
all the people victimized in these types of stories. So we don't mean to minimize anything that occurred there um, by making light of anything. But I just wanted to point out um, when we talk about metabolic health on the show, this is what we're talking about. Because if you look at how this guy uh, appears right now, for those of you watching on uh, BitChute, Odyssey, Rumble, and Brighteon, you can clearly see that this man is a little bit overweight. He's got the, the Bill Gates boobs going on right now. And um, when you have that kind of curvature there, um, you may not be the happiest of human beings because you probably feel like shit all the time. And you're going to take that out on people around you. Uh, so let's, let's, let's tear into this article, though. Uh, FBI agents and NYPD officers escort Frank James, that's the person's name, uh, from the 9th Precinct after his arrest Wednesday in the shooting attack the day before the 36th Street subway station in Brooklyn. Uh, the man charged with shooting commuters on a New York subway train Tuesday left a trail on social media in which he disparaged whites. <gasps> And complained about racism, <gasps> homelessness, okay, I'm done with that, and violence. He complained about violence. Okay. So I guess uh, Mr. James here. <laughs> hey, he was also yeah. very upset that Katanji Jackson, the pedo lover on <laughs> Supreme Court, is married to a white man. Uh, yes, it does. He was very upset about it that. It does too. mention that too, which uh, even, I mean, I don't know how I even missed that going over those things the past few weeks, but um, it also says uh, it has a quote uh, from him from one of his videos where he's asking, what are you doing, brother? Um, Addressing New York uh, Mayor Eric Adams. What's happening with this homeless situation? So I guess the way that you take out your frustrations about the homeless situation is um, attacking people with smoke bombs and what, extended clips in a subway, John Henry? Is is that how we handle things nowadays? What did I miss? <laughs> well, uh, that's what they do in California. Oh, man, yeah. <laughs> you know, speaking of, let, let's just rip into this thing. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> There's something on here that really bothers me. So, the gentleman, I'm not going to say gentleman, the shitbag scum fuck in Waukesha that uh, killed all the people um, by you know vehicular homicide as a method, anti-white sentiment wanted to kill white people. This fat piece of shit was on was it a terrorism watch list? FBI watch list because of the it, it extreme uh, views he had in videos. Well, that was reported, um, um, but I don't think he was actually on the list. Up until 2019, they were paying attention to him. Uh, I think that there may, have, there may have been some sort of contact, maybe, but I don't think he was officially on the list. Okay. <laughs> so the guy basically has a I hate white people YouTube page. <laughs> Shout out to YouTube. So here's what I'm getting at. You have these two gentlemen, right? Anti-white sentiment. Um, let's not forget, which it's phenomenal, you know, when we talk about the news cycle and how quick it turns over. The shooting in Sacramento. Um, now, I'm going to go out on a limb. You know, the the gentleman uh, that did the shooting, it's, it's actually two brothers. One's name is Dondre, D-O-N-D-R-A-E Martin, and his brother, Smiley Martin. Now, I'm going to go out on a limb and say these gentlemen are probably African-American based on those names being typical of African-Americans. Maybe not Smiley, but Dondre. Um What's interesting is 
There's no mugshot from that shooting of either one of them. Absolutely zero. So you now have the Waukesha Christmas Massacre, a mass shooting, whether or not it was gang related, I don't give a shit in Sacramento. And now this guy who is a black supremacist that kill people. Yet you have these ignoramuses that run our country and continue to spit out that putrid fucking vile nonsense saying things like white supremacy is the largest threat in the United States. It, it, it makes me fucking sick. And it really, really does. And, and I'm so fed up with it, man. All the pandering and all the bullshit and all the villainizing. And at the end of the day, we can all agree, any racism is bad racism. Any of it is absolutely fucking terrible. But you have these atrocities taking place uh, and we continue with the fucking white supremacist sentiment bullshit. It's just fucking ridiculous. Evil is evil. Evil is not a color. It's just pure fucking darkness, man. And um, it, it, I got to tell you, man, I'm just at my wits fucking end because what they do is, you know, when we go to the cameras, right? Okay, Epstein's cameras, not working. Uh, his good buddy that died in France, not working. Cameras in the subway, not working. The fuck they weren't. Mm. The fuck they weren't. They just didn't want people to see that because that doesn't go along with the bullshit narrative that they've been jamming down our fucking throats since everything started um, with Black Lives Matters. Uh, it, it's just fucking gross, man. It, it really is. And it just it, 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 it's, it's a disgusting fucking thing. Well, so you, you brought up something uh, important there, too. Um not just about YouTube, but then also about the the general narrative from our, our media, John Henry. Um, and that, I wanted to say, when you brought up evil, ignorance is evil. And I've been thinking that a lot lately. Because of all the conversations that we have about our fellow man and how people are interpreting things nowadays and going with the different narratives as proposed to them by the media, whether it be about the Russian-Ukraine conflict or be it about COVID bullshit, like there, there's always something that's like sort of snagging people and ensnaring people and getting them trapped in these these mindsets about uh, certain topics that we go over here. And as you know, Jordan Maxwell brilliantly put that we, we have to do our research. So as you and I, John Henry, delve into these things and we expose ourselves to these things too and and gain that knowledge. Um, the most important part is is that getting that in other people's skulls and YouTube by preventing that is actually causing things like this. Like where he was on, it says that he, YouTube, mind you folks out there, that uh, that booted us off their platform and threatened us because we wanted to talk about fucking science a couple months ago, um, is allowing this guy to go on there and say shit like- But it's not their science. Oh, their science, yeah. Mm. Saying shit like- It's and, not their and science. And so the it's message the to science. me is, <laughs> and I quote, I should have gotten a gun and just started shooting motherfuckers. <laughs> So uh, it's unbelievable. I'm going to read something here, um, you know, based on this, because I actually just uh, I posted something online. I'm reading a book called The Code of the Samurai. Um, the really cool book. But I posted this online the other day. So I think right now it'd be pretty fitting to go through it. And it's just an excerpt from the book. Right and wrong mean good and evil. Right is good. Wrong is evil. Ordinarily, people are not totally devoid of understanding of good and evil, right and wrong. But they find it boring and tiresome to act rightly and strive for good. Uh, acting wrongly and behaving badly is fun and familiar, so they drift towards things that are wrong and bad, and it becomes tiresome for them to do right and foster good. 
The complete moron who cannot distinguish good and bad, or right or wrong, is not even worth talking about. Once you've determined something to be wrong and bad, to avoid demands and justice and do what is wrong is not the attitude of a knight. We all know what right and wrong is, which equates to good and evil. The problem is we currently reside in a time where all of this just vitriol and nonsense that gets put out there is trying to compel and convince everybody that good is bad, right? And evil is good. And that's what we continue to see over and over and over. And we have to go back to that that just basic understanding of right and wrong. Um, and having a moral compass, man, it's just awful, awful shit. Well, and John Henry, too, like as I'm reading this uh, from the article as well, it says that um, two days before the shootings, which wounded or injured 23, he didn't manage to. And as far as I know, um, and we're, we're recording this um, as of the evening of the 17th. So uh, there may be more breaking news on this in the future and hopefully not. But he didn't kill anybody. And like with a with a gun with an extended clip, it wasn't a ghost gun <laughs> like like Biden would want to go after, of course, because we, we got to do something about all those non-serial numbered guns because the government has just the automatic fucking right, John Henry. And, and our, our, our buddy Gar, Gar Goldsmith did an excellent job with that this past week going going over that that topic. But yeah, if this was a ghost gun or something like that, could you imagine like the, the press going wild over something like that. But he goes down there with what? It, I think it was a nine with an extended clip and just first of all, a tube. Do you know how difficult it is to legally own a handgun in New York City? Well, he was from Milwaukee. <laughs> so, <laughs> okay. So, my, my apologies. So, he traveled from Milwaukee to do that. Yeah. He traveled through several states to do it too, which is, okay. what, you know, <clears throat> the federal aspect of this too and the way it ties well, one, in. This guy was able to go through multiple states. Yeah. Completely illegal. Yes. To take a firearm in New York City, it's a felony. Um, there's a magazine limit there, right? So double down. So as we talk about ghost guns and gun shows where there's no background check, which is all fabricated horse shit. Um, keep in mind that that he broke the law in a very extreme way, according to New York State, just to go there beyond the, the horrific act that he executed. Well, we have precedent, John Henry, and that precedent is Hunter Biden. Because Hunter Biden can break fucking gun laws anytime he wants to. In fact, he can even he can dispose of a gun or have a family member dispose of his gun. I think his wife, the one that was down in uh, Rio de Janeiro with those uh, two two gentlemen <laughs> um, frolicking at the beach. Uh, I think that uh, you, you could throw a gun into a fucking trash can behind a school if you're them and get away with it. So why not this guy? <laughs> no, he's a Democrat too. He's a Black Lives Matter supporter as well. They're all on the same team here. In fact, this is a quote. This is what white bitches and white motherfuckers expect you to be. When you blow one of their brains out, this is what you asked for. This is how you wanted me to be, obviously. Did he write that on his application <laughs> when, when, when he got this gun? <laughs> Probably. Uh, they may have now, he's had it since over 11, it actually. buying multi-million dollar properties. Yeah, he's had the gun legally, and he's had the gun for a while. In fact, I think he bought the gun in the state of Ohio, it says. But yeah, he's charged with terrorist attacks or other violence against a mass transportation system. Um, not the people, but against the mass transportation system. So what are system. your thoughts on that? Because I've, you know, I've been hearing mixed 
opinions on the fact that he's specifically being charged with a terrorist act. I mean, I think... Have you dug into that all? The difference of, you know, attempted murder or why specifically they deem that a terrorist attack? I think it all goes into the motive, the premeditation involved. Like, when you're out there, like, making multiple YouTube videos that YouTube probably didn't even flag, (laughs) saying... You know, he probably gets more organic reach on YouTube than us too, honestly. So <laughs> he's like, I'm gonna kill, and they're all sitting there waiting for it, waiting for it. They're like, Come on, come on. He's like, What people? They're like, Fucking good. All right, go ahead, push that through post. Oh, yeah, the algorithm gave him a boost after that. Um, and, and that's just the thing about this, too, that's so disturbing is that when you have like such clear premeditation. And like people out just, you know, exclaiming it. And like we are vehemently against any form of violence uh, here on the new prisoners, unless it's for self defense. We, we do believe in the right to defend yourself. Um, so if you have to be, well, violent, especially your doing. family or your children, yes. then we do condone violence, but only there. Yes. But um, when you have somebody like this, though, that has like a record, and also it says for more than a year, Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube, which, which is owned by Google have pledged to flag domestic extremists. So where was this guy's flag? (laughs) That's what I want to know. Now, also, it goes on to say that uh, the FBI, uh, which I like this article for for noting, criticized for pursuing Russian collusion theories, white supremacists, in quotations, and more recently, school parents. There are more school parents that are being paid attention to right now by the FBI than this fucking guy. Guaranteed. Um, like, So if you're there saying, hey, I don't want this CRT taught to my child, or I don't want these uh, uh, transgender uh, studies being taught to my five-year-old now in kindergarten, and I don't want you telling my seven-year-old that they should be able to take puberty blockers because they're safe and effective. Like, I just don't, I don't, I don't fucking want that, you know, school board. Well, guess what? You're on the list. (laughs) This guy's not. But it says here in quotes, yesterday, as everyday New Yorkers commuted through Brooklyn on our subway system, Frank James, as alleged, committed a horrific act that resulted in an around-the-clock effort by the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force in New York. The NYPD and the ATF, which should be abolished because there is no reason in this country to have an alcohol, tobacco, and firearms uh, bureau like that uh, to find him and bring him to justice. Um, Michael J. Driscoll, assistant director in charge of the FBI's New York field office, said Wednesday in a public statement. So, and it says, thanks to the incredible, incredible work by all involved to identify James and get the proper information out to the public. I like that. The proper information out to the public. He's in federal custody and New Yorkers can breathe a little easier in our city today. Now, I also wanted to note too that uh, he was turned in by two immigrants and there's a bunch of fluff pieces out about them too. So I'm sure that's an angle here that people should consider because when we talk about patterns on this show, um, people speak of conspiracy theories and conspiracy theorists. They're mainly just a, a, a way of recognizing patterns. It also, like we mentioned before, probably doesn't help that biden was talking about some sort of gun uh, confiscation or you know the ghost gun uh types of policies so probably didn't help this situation at all there folks um not saying that this was a setup or a setup to a setup but that sort of thing happens um now james was arrested 
Um, the two tipsters here uh, alerted Crime Stoppers to alert police to his whereabouts in the East Village neighborhood of Manhattan. Now, it also went on to say that uh, he had dropped off like a van. Like there is, there, there was like a rental van that was involved in this too. Um, there was, it just, it, it really, it really fucking stinks. And I hate to like speculate too much when things like this just happen, John Henry, because we all know, and we should know by now that a lot more shit is going to come out about this um, within the next few weeks. It always does with these. Um, and we know with uh, particularly the race and the types of scenarios surrounding this, um, it's probably <laughs> it's probably going to be buried by the mainstream media. <laughs> probably not going to see a lot about it on CNN or CNN Plus anymore for the, the three of, of you members that are watching CNN Plus out there. <laughs> <laughs> 10,000 viewers strong, baby. Oh, man. Uh, imagine imagine if we were giving their backing what, what could happen. Uh, it, it, just, it just goes to show you what, what a travesty the uh, inorganic media, the astroturf media is in this country, too. All that money and power, and they can only get that many people to even want to sign up or even pay attention to their bullshit. But... Um, it just says here uh, to Facebook, Twitter, and other social media companies. We're going to talk about Twitter a little bit later, folks. Also, have been slow to catch up with actual examples. It says actual examples of hate speech. <laughs> it says, frankly, it has just been a misprioritization of moms talking about COVID cloth masks. Yes, I believe that. And missing uh, threats. That don't comport with a narrative. Um, man. So it says that James, shocker here, has been arrested at least 12 times by the New York uh, Police Department between 1984 and 1998 on charges ranging from burglary to criminal sexual acts. Hmm. Criminal sexual acts. I'm glad that we let him back. I remember that rate of recidivism that we talked about in one of the last episodes, John Henry. <laughs> yeah, it's a good thing we didn't chemically castrate this fucking guy, right? And the New York Post reported that. But um, I just wanted to say to uh, a spokesperson for Google, the corporate owner of YouTube, did not respond Thursday to an inquiry for the Daily Signal for this report. So um, let's let's just end with this. A quote from James. He says, this nation was born in violence. It's kept alive by violence or the threat thereof, and it's going to die a violent death. Now, I shouldn't be taking the side of such an evil criminal motherfucker, right? This piece of shit. But that statement isn't entirely untrue. And I, I did listen to a good video uh, earlier today by Eric July. Uh, shout out to Eric July, Young Rip of 5'9 there. Um, he's on Odyssey too with us. But um, he mentioned that it, truth is truth. It really doesn't matter what li whose lips it really comes from. You know, even, even your most like vehement enemy, like the person that you hate the most on the planet Earth, John Henry, that, you know, if, if they're saying something that is true, um, you should accept that truth. Um, there, there's other, there's other means to combat them with besides, you know, trying to find something that's untrue to combat them with. So I do agree with that, but, um, we are going to explore how this nation, um, <laughs> maybe not was born in violence. We're not going to go back that far, but we're definitely going to explore how it's kept alive by violence with the threat thereof. That's for damn sure. 
And I don't know about if it dying a violent death, but the way it's going right now, it's not looking good. <laughs> it's not looking good. So he, he did have a point. I would there. agree. <laughs> hey, before moving on, yes. while we're in that shithole part of the country, yeah. um, New York's next door neighbor, New Jersey. Did you happen to see the trans inmate that got two female prisoners pregnant <laughs> uh, <laughs> because she's in a woman's prison? Yes. I have a whole thing set up uh, for next week's show, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to promo it now for everybody listening. Next week's show, I'm going to have an angle for the whole transhumanist or trans movement um, thing that I don't think I don't think most of you are ready for, because I certainly wasn't ready for it. So that's just a little surprise for you guys that we, we, we're leaking out today. But um, I didn't even tell John Henry about that at all, actually. But uh, yeah, it says right here too, before I go to the next article, yeah, he did have a rental van driven from Pennsylvania and he parked the van on Kings Highway about two blocks from the Sunset Park station entrance. And after the attack, he left behind a bag that included fireworks, a plastic container containing gasoline and a torch. How does he just escape? Yeah. Riddle me that, sir. How does he let off smoke bombs, which if it's a bag of fireworks, I'm assuming that he just, you know, swung by Ohio on his way over, picked up some of those. Um, but how, how does he get away? That's something that, we're talking about a crowded subway. Oh, I mean, if, if you ask the FBI that question, they're just going to be like, yeah, we just, we need more money and power. We need to militarize more. We need those dog fucking robots to come after you now with guns attached to them. I don't know if you saw those videos of the, the oh, dog yeah. drones the, oh, with yeah. the fucking guns attached to the tops of them, John Henry. That was pretty fucked up. And speaking of fucked up, and in a racial rant, James said there is no natural reason for there to be such a thing as an American Negro, African American. There is no reason for it except for you to be a slave. That is your rightful mm. place. It always will be. And that type of pessimism, that kind of nihilism, as Jordan Peterson would put it, that's the kind of shit that leads to this sort of evil. So, that's so last question is before we move on. Yes. False flag, yes or no? Oh, I would say um, very well known to all of the um, global corporatist oligarchies, uh, security apparatus in our country. Whether or not it was an actual setup that they helped him, uh, we'll probably find out like six months from now, like we do with all the other ones. <laughs> Nobody's dead. Thank God. Yeah, thank God. No cameras escaped. Um, and the reason I ask you that question is I was looking at the photographs and there's like people laying on the ground, wounded, taking pictures of other people with their phones. Yes. Now, look, hey, maybe that's somebody FaceTiming a loved one saying, oh, my God, I was just in a shooting. I'm still alive. Look what's happening around me. Eh, yeah, maybe, right? Um, if I was shot and bleeding, I wouldn't do that personally. First thing I would do is um, try to make sure that I don't die. Yeah. But um, I don't know, man. whole thing seems a little funky. So I'm going to call this one uh, 8 out of 10 on the false flag scale. Oh, yeah. If we had to give it a rating we, like that. Mm. Man, we came out hot on the fucking anti-gun bullshit from old poopy pants. That is true. It just seems so plausible that he was able to just marinate for so long until this happened. But, you know, it, it's been like that for other 
pipes like this too. So there's a lot to consider. Sure, sure. There. I mean, you look at the current state of our country. He's been pushed by the media to do that. Oh, for certain. And uh, it's no no doubt too. Uh, actually, uh, the DOJ is reinforcing that as we're going to talk about here in the next article. So I would say on a scale of one to ten, I say the likelihood of this being a false flag. I'm going to go with a six. Uh, my namesake on that one. I think it leans a little bit more towards, yeah, it could possibly be a false flag, but as far as it being like an organic thing that just kind of popped off, um, I, I still think from what I know now, um, I still think that it's highly plausible that he just decided All right, to do this. folks, the average on the new prisoner's false flag scale is a seven. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> so now this from the Hill, uh, this is uh, listed under criminal justice, the disturbing misuse of DOJ by the Biden White House. You don't say, uh, continues. This is from Kevin R. Brock. So now it says, last week, Jen Psaki, the president's MSNBC bound press secretary. We're going to be talking about NBC a lot on this episode, folks. MSNBC bound press secretary trotted out an administration diktat supported with somber charts that issued a warning to Republican state legislators in Alabama, who passed legislation to prevent chemicals such as puberty blockers or surgeries such as castration and hysterectomy that we talked about on last episode, John Henry, from being administered to prepubescent children. If signed by Governor Kay Ivey, the law also would prohibit schools from keeping parents in the dark when their children, otherwise grooming, <laughs> if you want to put it that way, if they're keeping them in the dark, right? We went over the definition. The law also would prohibit schools from keeping parents in the dark when their children are being counseled, it says in quotations, on these issues by other adults. These Republicans, Saki threatened, would, uh, I'm sorry, have been put on notice. Put on notice, she says. Uh, by the Department of Justice for possible violations of the Constitution and federal law. Now, I'm not a constitutional scholar. I know a couple people that are constitutional scholars, and I haven't heard any one of them say, hey, you know what that beautiful part the Constitution says about prepubescent children having hysterectomies, John Henry? I don't know what section that's in. (laughs) I mean, I'm not. I didn't go to school for all that, but um, now it says here, you may not have known that the DOJ has this menacing power to put lawmakers on notice. It doesn't. Ah, borrowed a little bit from Biden there, just whispering. It doesn't. It's a DOJ swim lane simply made up by the White House. It doesn't exist. The Justice Department has its name for a specific and narrow reason. It investigates and prosecutes those who have violated existing federal statutes to ensure justice on behalf of the American people. It is not the Department of Luca Brasi dispatched by a godfather-like president of the United States to intimidate adversaries who don't see things the way he does. Hey, nice policy position you got there. It'd be a shame if someone had to shut you up. That was in quotations. Last Thursday's bizarre announcement sadly continues a pattern of misuse of DOJ. And that is a pattern that we're going to lay out for you on this episode, folks, by the Biden administration over the past year. Equally disturbing is the lack of appropriate pushback from Attorney General Merrick Garland. Well, 
There's his stupid fucking face there. And he also got COVID along with everyone, every other DNC member that I could possibly think. You want to put together a list of high profile DNC members? Um, they all got COVID the past two weeks, too. Hmm. I wonder why. Instead, there's been a kind of listless, and this is what it says in the article, acquiescence to politically driven directives. So that sounds like more like a dictatorship to me, John Henry, when you have shit like that going on. When you have a White House ordering the DOJ to go out and prosecute other politicians for trying to represent us, even John Henry, this is getting into pretty scary territory. Now, they haven't started mass arresting people yet like they do in third world countries, but do they really need to anymore? Can't they just destroy your life outside of throwing you in a cage? I think they can. But let's move on. It's not supposed to be this way, it says in the article. The attorney, the attorney general is a cabinet member, unlike any other. While the DOJ may support certain policy goals of a president, such as an emphasis on violent crime or cybercrime, it must maintain a healthy, independent distance from the White House. In theory, this is because no one is above the law. Even the president and his staff are subject to investigation <laughs> if warranted. <laughs> uh, yeah, that's one you gotta. I don't think he meant that one to be a joke, did he? <laughs> oh, 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 yeah. That's why. That's why this article was a keeper. No one is above yeah. the law. It says no one is above the law. Uh, I don't know about that one. <laughs> yeah. I'd probably question that statement just a little tiny, tiny bit. And we've seen a lot of it. I mean, I, 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 he also goes on to say, but there's another important rationale. No reasonable person wants a department that has daunting powers to surveil, tap, and arrest people. And this is why, like, the first story that we open up with, folks, is so mind-blowing. That we give these departments... Fucking department. Unbelievable department. power. Unbelievable power. All the fucking ABC companies all fucking do that. What are you talking about department? Yeah. It's all damn near every large entity that we operate, you know, either in conjunction with or with. It's it's unfucking believable. Well, we'll definitely see more evidence of that too as we move on, John Henry. A student street ahead. So, um, and yet, President Biden more than once has inappropriately used the DOJ as muscle for politically driven motivations that were important to the president or his handlers. <laughs> I like that too because he's definitely being handled somehow poorly, may I add, but you know, there's somebody in charge of him. He ain't, he ain't running the show, folks. Not after the shit we've seen this week. Um, now, the threat against Alabama Republicans is the latest example, and there have been others worth recalling, where last October, Biden unleashed the DOJ to intimidate parents, as we just mentioned, around the country who had just begun protesting school board policies that align with Democratic Party agendas. Garland dutifully issued an obsequious memo after we found out that uh, what it was his son-in-law was involved in a company that uh, promotes the CRT bullshit. So he had a an actual monetary gain uh, in his family from that, just like Biden does. You know, everywhere that Biden was assigned as vice president when he still had a, a part of a working brain, I guess. Uh, so he could uh, just rape, rape Ukraine and other countries of, of their wealth. Um, now, it says here, the obsequious memo directing uh, the... FBI and U.S. attorneys to focus resources on potential acts of violence against school boards. Since there, uh, since then, there have been zero acts of actual violence associated with parental protests. 
Go figure. That we're a peaceful people, John Henry. The people that would go and stand up and have the balls to actually go and stand up in front of their school board and say, hey, you motherfuckers, you're not teaching this shit to my kids or else I'm, I'm out. I'm pulling my kids. I'm pulling my money. I'm moving. Fuck you. I'm out. And, and there's, there's been none of that. There's been no violence there. Um, there's been that one arrest uh, that got famous because Tucker Carlson had the gentleman on about the, uh, we, we covered that story about the younger trans person that assaulted, uh, sexually assaulted and raped um, these girls in the, in the girls' bathrooms because it, it was allowed because of the policy and then it was covered up by that school board. Um, other than that arrest, I can't even think of any others really. Um, and then in November, it says the DOJ's Southern District of New York had the FBI execute a, pre- a pre-dawn search warrant at two homes of journalists believed to be in possession of a diary belonging to Biden's adult daughter. Well, we're going to talk about that right now. Let's switch over, actually. This is breaking. The Department of Justice secretly spied on journalists and Apple and Google accounts. Now, this is from Project Veritas. This is what the last article was speaking of. Now, Veritas has filed a motion demanding a return of property, but it says here the DOJ secretly spied on journalists and secret, uh, and, I'm sorry, security details, uh, Apple and Google accounts. Project Veritas files motion demanding return of property. Uh, now, in the article, it says that Project Veritas announced today that Apple and Google came forward. And just like Microsoft did a few weeks weeks ago, folks. Um, so when you're using um, any type of electronic devices in your home, let's say like your computer or your phone, you're probably using these services, right? These are the big three. This, this is like our bitch you Odyssey and Rumble, John Henry. Like these, these are the big three. You're not getting around really using uh, these whenever it comes to uh, doing anything these days. So... This is uh, Project Veritas announced today uh, that also that um, the, the President Biden's Department of Justice issued nine secret subpoenas to them for multiple Project Veritas journalists' private information. Wow. Wow. Now, the subpoenas and warrants even extended to the journalist's security detail. In addition to compelling Apple and Google not to disclose that the constitutionally protected information of journalists was being surveilled by the highest levels of our government, the Department of Justice sought payment information, MAC addresses, browsing history, and other personal information from multiple employees of Project Veritas. This is all over the Ashley Biden diary? Really, John Henry? I thought that wasn't real. I thought they were coming after National File and Project Veritas over some bullshit. Maybe even as a setup to help uh, the New York Times, which is part of the global corporatist oligarchy for sure, uh, come ahead in their uh, their, uh, lawsuit with Project Veritas. But I would never expect them to just be this brazen with sending the DOJ out as henchmen to make sure 
that not only Project Veritas wasn't allowed to expose the public to the information contained within the Ashley Biden diary or even talk about it and get get the existence of it or you know knowing of it out there in the public, but then they have their other cohorts in the global corporatist oligarchy, John Harry. They have they have Apple and Google in on it too, along with Microsoft now. Like how many how many big companies need to be involved in these sort of things? Um so here, let me go back now. Uh, so it says here, the shocking revelation from Apple and Google comes on the heels of last month's news. Microsoft Corporation was similarly compelled by the Department of Justice, which filed a series of secret warrants, orders, and a subpoena to surreptitiously collect privileged and constitutionally protected communications and contacts of eight Project Veritas journalists. In a statement, the ACLU said they were deeply troubled. Of all places, John Henry, the ACLU is even like, wow, that's fucking crazy. (laughs) They said they were deeply troubled uh, by this secret electronic surveillance. Secret electronic surveillance conducted by the Department of Justice. And then Paul Calley, an attorney for Project Veritas, pointed out that the actions from the government were disproportionate. In addition to arguing that the DOJ violated the Privacy Protection Act, the First and Fourth Amendments, and common law, reporters' privilege. It says, in quotes, by no reasonable measure can the wholesale seizure of news gathering materials, attorney client privileged communications, and irrelevant personal information be considered a proportional response to an alleged low grade larceny, much less to a non crime said Callie and Project Veritas's motion filed in response to, this, to the disclosures from Microsoft. But John Henry, I mean, we've, we've been privy to this type of information for people like us, at least, to pay attention to these types of political topics for a long time. That our Department of Justice, that um, our NSAs, our intelligence agencies around the globe, um, that they throw out a big net and they capture a lot of stuff. We've known that. I mean, the whole famous James Clapper, you know, when they asked him when he was testifying in front of Congress, you know, have you ever uh, spied on American people? And he said, not wittingly. Well, this is wittingly. This is direct. Like, this is like if you if you back up your car in a parking lot and you fucking hit somebody, that's an accident. You know, that that kind of shit happens. It can happen to anybody, really. But if you slam on the gas and back up as fast as fucking possible out of that, or run somebody over and murder them, um, that's a little different. This was direct. This was meant. They aimed the car. <laughs> like, this wasn't a boo-boo. This wasn't a big program that they're rolling out to capture all the bad terrorists out there, you know, like us. Uh, but this is, um, this is actually a way for them themselves to be the terrorists. This is, this is a way for them to terrorize the American public by, te- by not only telling them, like, listen, motherfuckers, you're not speaking up at school boards anymore. You're, you're, not, you're not denying us or, or, or anybody um, that goes out there and protests. Like if you wanted to, you know, say, jump in a truck and ride around D.C. for a little bit to protest something. Um, if, you wanted, if you wanted to do anything against the, this war in Ukraine, if you wanted to stand up against it and protest it, well, we, you, we pretty much know from now on that you're going to have the DOJ up your ass. 
They're going to look at every single one of your accounts. They have access to your bank accounts. They can shut down your fucking bank account. They can track every single transaction and thing that you do. They can track all of your GPS motions, every bit of communications through every sort of uh, media now. It doesn't matter if it's a protected or encrypted email uh, that you're using. All of that shit is on the table now for them, John Henry. They have every single available tool under the sun, but still they miss people like Frank James. <laughs> They're, they're too busy going after Project Veritas for exposing the truth, apparently now, that Ashley Biden did shower with Joe Biden when she was younger, and it, and it traumatized her, which I'm sure it would most people. But that, that's pretty much where we're at on that. Um, now, I'm also going to move on to this one, because this is Darren Beatty from Revolver News. Now, Revolver has done amazing work um, on the January 6th story uh, for the past few months, and I just wanted to uh, go over this little transcript. This was uh, Darren Beatty on Steve Bannon's War Room the other day. And this is from Real Clear Politics. Beatty can't ignore parallels between FBI's failed entrapment plots in Whitmer, uh, the, the Whitmer kidnapping plot, and January 6th riot, quote unquote. Uh, I'm going to add those quotes. It says Revolver News journalist Darren Beatty spoke to War Room Pandemic about the parallels between the January 6th riot and the October 2020 attempted entrapment operation to kidnap the governor of Michigan. And Bannon goes on to say that this wasn't just kidnapping Whitmer. They were going to assassinate her and throw her body into Lake Michigan and assault the state capitol. A kidnapping plot, an assassination plot, a storm the government building plot, and MSNBC went nonstop on this for days. And they had Whitmer out there crying crocodile tears. They used this and they were trying to flip Michigan politically. They were so freaked out that we had won Michigan, meaning him and Trump, uh, in 2016. And the government was part of this. The FBI and DOJ were part of this. The point is, the FBI, it doesn't matter if Bill Barr or Merrick Garland is there. This is the Trump administration, his own FBI. This was an FBI plot to try and flip Michigan and thereby the presidential election. Now, Darren Beatty replies, there's one detail that really warrants emphasis, and that is the person who oversaw this failed entrapment operation, as you suggest, was just purely political. His name is Stephen, and I'm going to repeat this for everybody out there. His name is Stephen D'Antuonio. <laughs> he ran the FBI Detroit field office, and he was promoted to the D.C. field office to oversee the January 6th operation. Now, Beatty says, I think Stephen D'Antuonio uh, has a lot to answer for. We should not forget his name. And he should testify, and I agree with that, he should testify before Congress and all types of tribunals to answer for what the hell he was doing. American needs, Americans need to know his name. The plan was to put Michigan in a certain category politically prior to the election. I don't think we can ignore the parallels between Michigan and January 6th. Same plot. Storing the Capitol... The Michigan people, the Wolverine Watchmen, the three percenters, 
who were associated with this failed entrapment operation, stormed the Michigan State Capitol. Same plot, same militia groups, the three percenters, which is associated with many of the defendants in this case, is one of the three main militia groups also linked to January 6th. So if we're going to do a scale of one to 10 on uh, the Whitmer thing being a setup, oh man, this is this has got to be a 10 out of 10. <laughs> I mean, you can't get more of a setup than an actual setup, can you, John Henry? <laughs> Survey says, ding, 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 10 out of 10. False flag. I mean, it's still, I, I'm going to, uh, for what I know, and we've done a lot of, of research on this topic, um, and we're going to talk about it in just a moment, folks. January 6th, the plausibility of that being a uh, a setup, it, it's right now it's at a nine out of 10. It's at a nine out of 10 compared to this, I think. 9.2. Yes, yes, it's close. It's really close. But Well, what did we just find out? Was it 36 or 37 agents? Mm-hmm where uh, it integrated into the crowd on January 6th. We know that now. I heard 20, but the, uh, the other 17 or, or odd numbers there, they could have been wearing like uh, board shorts, like funny looking board shorts and little polos. <laughs> 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 just glowing out there, just fucking glowing out there, getting their glow on. Oh, man. But this is from the Center Square uh, from Michigan. This is Whitmer kidnapping defense attorney. FBI set men up. You don't fucking say. <laughs> this is from Scott McClellan. Um, now, it says uh, from the center square, eight men face state charges for an alleged plot to kidnap Governor Gretchen Whitmer. If convicted, the men could serve up to life in prison. On April 8th, a federal jury acquitted two other men, acquitted them, John Henry, two other men on similar charges related to the alleged kidnapping plot. The jury also deadlocked on two accused ringleaders of the plot. The Federal Bureau of Investigation paid informants more than $80,000 of taxpayer money for confidential information. Now, attorney Nicholas Somberg, who represents the state defendant Joe Morrison, says the FBI goaded alleged ringleader Adam Fox into believing he was the leader of an army that didn't exist, <laughs> which was comprised of two FBI agents and Adam Fox. So the only army this guy had going on, the only audience he had, the only militia that he really had behind him, John Henry, was himself and two other FBI agents. How is that? How is that even a plot? How can you have two on one there too with suggestions and suggesting this? And we're going to talk about that here in the article uh, as we go on. Says He says the FBI paid people to dupe the men who didn't want to kidnap Whitmer. In quotes, the FBI provided all of the training, ammunition, money, guns, transportation, and lodging. Holy shit. They took care of everything. It was just like all, all these fucking access journalists, you know, who, who give all the glowing reviews of the movies and video games of today. Um, they basically, they set them up. They basically did everything besides provide these guys with prostitutes like Justin Trudeau did uh, to those oil executives up in Canada, John Henry. They basically did everything but that. They gave them training, ammunition, money, guns, transportation, and lodging. Just like our intelligence agencies do with other fucking terrorists overseas in the Middle East, right? Isn't this how they started ISIS? 
Isn't this how they start all the fucking people and Al Nusra and all the other bullshit, all the other bullshit groups that we fucking fund and start and go with all the pretend bad guys that we make so we can go after them with the military industrial complex. Well, we're doing it here in America and this is how. So now it also says they drove these guys across the country. How if you're giving them guts, right? And to a plot to go kill somebody and they cross state lines. That's a real no, no, I think. I don't know. The, I don't know the gun laws like you do, John Henry, but I think that one's a no-no. They drove these guys across the country in a nice suburban. I wonder if fucking Chevrolet sponsored this. For all we know about our government and how corrupt it is and how it deals with corporations, it wouldn't even fucking shock me that Chevy was just like, "Yo, I want in on that." <laughs> Sponsored by Chevrolet and Pfizer. <laughs> yes, of course. Now, it says, Somberg said the acquitted men are protected by double jeopardy, which prohibits someone from being tried twice for the same crime following an acquittal, so they can be subpoenaed to testify in the state trial. I like that. I like that a lot. So that means that after they found them basically not guilty of anything, like fully acquitted, you know, to quote uh, President Trump there, um, they get to take the stand now and actually tell us what the fuck happened. Maybe. So, Somberg questioned why... The FBI needed 12 people to bust the plot, which there, as we're seeing here, folks, there wasn't much of a fucking plot to begin with. So if you're, it says in quotes, if you're trying to bust a gang for selling drugs or the mafia, you send in one person who's just sitting back and recording, you know, somebody wearing a wire, um, not leading, not becoming the godfather and calling hits. You have to investigate, not instigate. Now, Somberg also says the FBI pushed the men to act. And for example, he said on September 5th of 2020, one month and three days before the sting arrest, FBI special, special agent Jason Chambers texted an informant, mission is to kill the governor specifically. The FBI special agent feeding them that initiative for their their, their militia, their, their one-man army, along with two FBI agents, along with two fed boys, two fed boys and, a, and some unwilling, unwitting stupid guy that got roped into all of this. It also says, in other circumstances, FBI informant Dan Chappell suggested Fox, uh, which Adam Fox uh, uh, in, in the group, surveil Whitmer's vacation home, target Whitmer's boat, and also, the FBI informant, Dan Chappell, told this guy, a citizen, to shoot an ammunition round through a window of her cottage. That's the Joe Biden warning shot. <laughs> you think you hear a noise out there? Just, just fire your shotgun through the door or fire it straight up in the air because everybody does that, right? Everybody in gun safety class, the first thing that they fucking tell you is you hear a noise. Don't, don't open the door and see what's on the other side. Blast the shotgun through the door. <laughs> yeah. Ask the Blade Runner that did that to his girlfriend. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. He wasn't going after replicants just, uh, either. He was going after his girlfriend. Blasted through the fucking bathroom door and killed her. Being a Blade yeah, Runner, though, much maybe she was a replicant. They, they could be out there. <laughs> I mean, for all we know, there could be replicants running around there as we speak. For those of you that don't know what the fuck I'm talking about, watch the movie Blade Runner. Um, it is a classic. Uh, now, 
And also, if none of you know what the fuck I'm talking oh, yes. about, I'm talking about the South African Olympic runner that had no legs and ran on carbon fiber blades and shot through his bathroom door in the middle of the night while his girlfriend was in there subsequently murdering her. Yep. Yep. Gun safety, folks. Um, don't take that. Don't don't do what that guy did. <laughs> so that's, that should be one of the rules. Um, now, it says in quotes, he's literally driving these guys around. It's it's as if it was a drug deal. Oh, you can't afford to go to this state to pick up cocaine? Okay, so we're going to rent a car for you and get you an Airbnb or hotel and pay for the whole thing. So yeah, basically, it's like if you were a part of a drug ring, John Henry, let's say, and then uh, the FBI approached you and they wanted you to go and buy more drugs. <laughs> and as of late, as of... Um, or, uh, August 1st, 2020, uh, two months before their capture, Somberg said the accused men were too busy chain-smoking marijuana and getting drunk to plot. So they got, they roped a couple potheads <laughs> in, into this, poor potheads, and, and some drunk people. Um, but it says, these aren't sober militia operatives, <laughs> Somberg said. They're just a bunch of potheads. <laughs> So, I mean, enough of from this article, because uh, we, we could just go on and on for an hour about it, John Henry. But here, here's my thoughts on it. You get a couple of potheads just hanging around on the Internet, you know, like they do. And they're in a chat room and they're like, hey, I don't really like wearing my mask here in Michigan. Fuck Gretchen Whitmer. And then an FBI fed boy just pops in there like, hey, I got an idea. <laughs> And you start talking to them, you know, and you, you develop this relationship with them. And all of a sudden, you're being driven across the country, being given guns, money, Airbnbs, prostitutes, whatever else that they do. Let's speculate for a minute. Just for a second. Yeah. For funsies. Exactly. Now, I have an idea of how this all started. But how do you think the initial contact took place? I think it was a stupid comment on Facebook. Yeah. That's what I think. I think this dumb fuck was like, yeah, fuck her, man. Fucking hate these masks. Not love weed. Legalize weed. Fuck Christian Whitmer. And literally they were scouring that, waiting to find somebody fucking dumb enough to, to now become part of this whole thing. I mean, it's just insane. What do you think? How do you think of the uh, first contact? How did it happen? Um, I think the likelihood of it happening through some of the major um, social media outlets, like you mentioned, like Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, I think it's highly likely because, I mean, we've seen so much activity over the past few years. Like, let, let's, let's look at the, the Christchurch shooter, for instance. Um, he was well known to authorities or should have been because of all of the tools that they have, but still that was allowed to happen. Just one of many instances, right? But they went after that Christchurch shooter. Um, they actually went after Gab really hard. Um, Gab, I think, afterwards got booted off of the app stores, uh, which if that happens to you, if you're booted off of Google or Apple's app store and you're a company, you're, you're kind of fucked uh, because that's your access to you know billions of people uh, that use those types of services. So I think the likelihood of somebody using like a normie or just like a, you know any, any type of normal uh, type of place or Reddit or something like that too, uh, just to voice their opinions. 
um, they are not only being monitored by those companies, but they're also being monitored by these agencies. And I think the agencies pick up on this, they see it, and they're able to act on it. So I think it's highly likely that he was set up through those means. Um, I don't know any other way that you could have been at that time, too, because what makes it even more plausible, John Henry, is that this all stems back to, remember the COVID lockdowns? <laughs> remember those? Remember how it says here in the article, in, in Detroit, police issued 2,681 charges and fines for breaking COVID rules, which were tossed in October 2020 after a state Supreme Court ruling. So at the time of this, these people were being held captive by their own government. So I think that if you're locked up in a room, you're probably online because what the fuck else are you doing with yourself besides smoking pot and drinking too, which... I mean, that, that kind of fits with the whole narrative, too, of, of the actual truth of what happened during those lockdowns, is that it increased the level of drug dependency and drug overdoses and suicide and depression in this country, too. That was the, the lovely side effect, besides it not really saving lives and fucking our economy for decades to come, if not permanently, John Henry. And we're going to talk about that a little bit later, too. Um, but it's just, you know, for me, the likelihood of someone being sucked into something online during that time, particularly when you're trapped in your house, you can't go anywhere. Um, you're seeing your your governor get to uh, go up to her beach house and go out to uh, little gatherings with her friends and not even wear a mask either to in indoors in, in that sort of setting. Um, when you see that sort of thing, I get it where somebody could just go online and be like, yo, this, this bitch needs to go. But then somebody picking up on that and then driving them into a plot like this. So yeah, that is, that's definitely what I would call entrapment. But then uh, let's talk about this ultimate act of entrapment here, too. This is from Town Hall. Oh, so there were federal agents embedded at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Now, I remember, John Henry, a few months ago, they were trying to get Tucker Carlson off the fucking air. And they still are. I mean, because, I mean, that that's their number one enemy on television, at least, because he holds all the ratings. I think more people watch Tucker Carlson during his first hour, you know, just like the the, the one hour they actually debut his shit. I think more people watch that than all of the other news stations combined that are over cable. So, I mean, when you have somebody like that, uh, that has that massive of an audience, you know, regardless of what kind of audience is still watching Fox fucking news, but Tucker Carlson, I mean, uh, if you're going to watch anything on there, at least uh, maybe give him a try. But he was saying this months ago. And Revolver News, Darren Beatty was saying this months ago, people were coming after them hard. They were calling them domestic terrorists for even saying that, that 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 the FBI and other agencies could have been involved in this and this could have been a plot. You're a crazy conspiracy theorist. You're you're tr just a Trump supporting uh, racist, homophobic, sexist, you know, whatever else that they wanted to label uh, people as to not actually have a real fucking cogent or intellectual argument with them. But this is from Matt Vespa here from Town Hall, and it says, there were FBI assets around the U.S. Capitol on January 6th. Oh, go fucking figure. It says, that is a fact. It's not new either, which we've known, and the people in our audience have known, John Henry. The New York Times reported that an informant for the Federal Bureau of Investigation was inside the building. Did the FBI plan this riot? Question mark. We don't know. Wow. Just this opening paragraph is shocking enough, but probably not. 
It says, but given the hyperpolitization we've seen from this institution, coupled with its apparent inability to do its job, I wouldn't be shocked. So he's saying it's plausible. I don't know on, on the scale of one to ten uh, where uh, Mr. Vat, Matt Vespa would put uh, this as being a setup, but maybe, maybe we'll get to ask him someday. The FBI is ground zero for serial failures as of late. These clowns knew the Steele dossier. The core of the Russian collusion hoax was fake. They knew it was a Clinton campaign opposition research project, just to remind you folks out there, or in case you didn't know. Um, they still went along with this little game and doctored paperwork. Yes, they falsified paperwork to secure spy warrants. And that's been an ongoing theme too. All the surveillance, you know, remember how in the first impeachment they were saying, oh, it's not spying. They're spying on the president. It was surveillance. You can't say spying. Well, spying is a colloquial term, motherfucker, for surveillance. So, but yeah, to secure spy warrants on Trump campaign officials, they spied on Trump proper with Crossfire Hurricane. That was the name of the uh, operation there. He says, these are bad people. I would agree. There are many people on January 6th who tried to stop the mayhem. Yes, I've seen numerous videos of people trying to stop the madness there. And it says, of course, that footage isn't shown. It's the ones who did cross the line who are used to paint the usual narrative. There's that word again. I think that's the word of the week, John Henry. The usual narrative that the right is out of control. Yeah, we're, we're fucking losing it, aren't we? Uh, left-wing hooligans, I like this, burned down half of our cities in 2020. But this little riot is worse or, or something. <laughs> it says, enough. These people are no saints. But questions about federal agents may be egging on the crowd, says maybe egging on the crowd, are warranted. Says, folks, the FBI plotted to kidnap Michigan Governor uh, Gretchen Whitmer and suckered a few people into this scheme to build a sham domestic terror case that was weaponized to attack Donald Trump. The feds thought they had a slam dunk case. It wasn't. There were no convictions after all that theater. Everyone saw it was an entrapment game. Now, when I post and comment sections of videos and in things on our social media accounts, John Henry, about January 6th, I usually use the line from uh, that we've used on this show that January 6th wasn't an insurrection. It was entrapment. We've been saying it for fucking months and the rest of the media is catching up months later. So, but at least uh, that's good. I mean, people are catching up to us, John Henry, right? But it says, uh, this is from Ivan Potenchukov, uh, 20 federal assets. 20 federal assets embedded at Capitol on January 6th. And that was from a court filing. So at least from one court filing, John Henry, there was at least 20. So there could be more. But it also says that some members of the Oath Keepers who are facing a slew of charges. Now, if you wanted to include all of these fake militias, all of these glowy militia members that were out there spurring the on, all these Ray Epses, you know, that people were ch uh, chanting Fed at, and then uh, Ted Cruz later in, in the congressional hearing um, <laughs> repeated that, uh, that all of these people combined. Yeah, you probably had 37 or more. Uh, but it says the Oath Keepers who are facing a slew of charges from the riot are alleging that the FBI and ATF agents 
again, the ATF that should be abolished, uh, were embedded around the U.S. Capitol. An attorney for a January 6th defendant says in a recent court filing that at least 20 FBI and Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, and Firearms and Explosives assets were embedded around the U.S. Capitol on the day of the riot. The attorney, David Fisher, is seeking a dismissal of charges of seditious conspiracy and obstruction charges against nearly a dozen members of the Oath Keepers and client Thomas Caldwell. The 41-page motion was filed Tuesday before U.S. District Court Judge Amit Mehta in Washington, D.C., according to a report in the Epoch Times. At least 20 FBI and ATF assets were embedded around the Capitol on January 6th. A footnote in the motion reads, The motion also states that attorneys uh, combed through a mountain of discovery including summaries. Oh, wouldn't you love to comb through that evidence, John Henry? Wouldn't you love to just have access to all that shit? Along with the thousands upon thousands of fucking hours of footage that people have, that the FBI has, that the DOJ has on this, that the January 6th fucking committee that shouldn't exist has. Now, it also says that uh, the FBI agents uh, and that the members of the Oath Keepers, a far-right group, blah, 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 far-right, were being monitored and recorded prior to January 6th. Monitored or recorded prior to January 6th. Now, if these Oath Keepers, right, that didn't, you know, if they didn't do anything wrong or weren't doing anything wrong at the time, they were already being monitored and recorded prior to January 6th. And there were also FBI agents and ATF assets, it says, in the crowd. So they're allowed to basically spy on you anytime they fucking want to these days, John Henry. They can spy on you for any, any type, any political dissonance whatsoever. Like if you don't think that, you know, a people can be aborted at the 45th fucking trimester, or if you think that, uh, you know, maybe you should be able to carry a piece on yourself just in case, you know, just in case somebody wants to fucking rob you or victimize you or your family, um, that you should be surveilled at all fucking times. And Bill Gates is all about that too. I mean, you don't think the big companies like Microsoft and others that have been in all of this bullshit and, and Google and Apple, plus they all are fucking business partners with the government To do this shit, who do you think provides the technology, the platforms, the information, the algorithms, all the things that our government uses to to spy on us this way and to launch these sort of plots? They're all provided by the big tech companies, all provided by the big tech companies. Now, it says in the article here, now this could all be tossed out. We don't know, and I hope it is. We can't because the liberal media refuses to do their job and dig into any possible federal involvement. Let's go back to the New York Times piece about the informant. As scores of Proud Boys made their way chanting and shouting towards the Capitol on January 6th, one member of the one member, one of the far right group was busy texting a real-time account of the march. The recipient of that was his FBI handler. I wonder what that means. Now, in the middle of an unfolding melee that shook a pillar of American democracy, the peaceful transfer of power, the Bureau had an informant in the crowd providing an inside glimpse of the action, according to the confidential records obtained by the New York Times. In the informant's version of events, the Proud Boys 
famous for their street fights. I don't know about that. Uh, they had like one street fight where they went after the Antifa people after they were threatened by them. Now, they shouldn't have done that. They shouldn't have pursued them. But, you know, we're largely following a pro-Trump mob. <laughs> yay. Uh, consumed by a herd mentality rather than carrying out any type of pre-planned attack. After meeting his fellow Proud Boys at the Washington Monument that morning, the informant described his path to the Capitol grounds, where he saw barriers knocked down and Trump supporters streaming into the building, the records show. At one point, his handler appeared not to grasp that the building had been breached, the records show, and asked the informant to keep him in the loop, especially if there was any violence. So apparently the FBI was like, what? They're storming the Capitol? I don't believe that. <laughs> now, in the article, it says here before we move on, it says, okay, well, let's just mention again. We have another instance where this riot was shown to not be a pre-planned attack. The FBI's own report also came to the same conclusion, which doesn't absolve them of past sins either. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut. Seriously, are there people who truly think that there was no federal presence at the U.S. Capitol on January 6th? The controversial 2020 election is over. Trump is amped. His supporters are equally emotional. Tensions were high. Come on. They were there, and past behavior from the FBI shows that you shouldn't discount anything. Well said. At the very least, it's not a wacko question to wonder if federal agents were stoking the flames here. They're capable of anything. And I think that's very true. So speaking about capabilities and other things, let's, let's transition now into, uh, let, let's catch up with some other things that we've been talking about lately. Let's talk about the corruption in our government. Let's talk about the corruption here in New York City, John Henry. Let's talk about Brian Benjamin. Brian Benjamin joins a long line of New York's political rogues ousted over corruption. This is by David Cruz and Bridget Bergen. Uh, this is on The Gothamist. Now, beautiful picture there of Benjamin with his lovely little mask on, because up in New York City, you're still not a free man. You still have to wear masks. They still have their, their vaccine mandates on certain employees and other things there. So um, yeah, and, and also uh, Eric Adams, of all that, all that bullshit up in New York, if you're listening in New York State or New York City especially, Eric Adams had got COVID. Now, Eric Adams had more booster shots than he can remember, I'm sure. And he loves them. He's, he goes every Friday, like I used to go for my allergy shots, you know, because I mean, it wears off after about three or four weeks, you know, the booster, but you just, you want to be super protected, you know, like Anthony Fauci would say, all hail Lord Fauci. Um, but, you know, he still got COVID. So he has to make your kids, he has to make children wear fucking masks because they can't get their shots yet because they can't be protected like he was and still get COVID. But anyway, I digress. New York State's now ex-Lieutenant Governor, it says here in the article, Brian Benjamin held the state's second highest office for just over seven months until resigning following a five-count indictment for corruption on Tuesday. He pleaded not guilty in the case. Still, his resignation makes him the latest to join the ignomni... Oh, I'm sorry... Ignominious, ignominious uh, ranks uh, of New York state elected officials who left office under the cloud of scandal. Prosecutors allege Benjamin abused his position. 
as an elected official as part of a bribery scheme where he funneled a state grant to a real estate developer's nonprofit in exchange for bundling straw donors to his New York City Comptroller campaign account. Oh, we've seen shit like that before. Haven't we made comments recently about other stories like this, John Henry, where we've talked about them funneling money through nonprofits? Oh, yes, we have. Remember the um, the Orphan Starfish Foundation that uh, Hunter Biden's wife was going down to be a part of their charity event, Rio de Janeiro, who is also tied to the Tides Foundation, which is, of course, tied to George Soros. If you want to know how dirty shit happens in politics in this country, how money changes hands and flows from one place to another or one entity or person to another, um, it's through nonprofits. And that was all due to, of course, our fucking IRS. Because, I mean, when you have a nonprofit, that means that you're not getting taxed in certain ways. So you get that nonprofit status, you get that rubber stamp from the government, and you're good to go, boy. You could take advantage of all sorts of things and apparently uh, funnel money around like this. But in quotes, it says public corruption erodes people's faith in government. No shit. Uh, U.S. Attorney Damien Williams said when announcing the charges against Benjamin on Tuesday. Williams also noted he was not the first U.S. attorney, nor would he be the last, to announce corruption charges against a sitting elected, uh, elected official. Over the past decade, more than a dozen state officials have either resigned or been removed from office in connection to claims of misconduct. The continued pattern of corruption has led good government leaders to repeatedly criticize the state for not tightening up its ethics and campaign finance oversight. This particular case, Brian Benjamin, uh, was ultimately brought uh down by the New York City Campaign Finance Board, said John Kahaney, uh, who's the executive director of Reinvent Albany, a government watchdog group. And it says also, on the other hand, uh, Kahaney said, that's a sign that the system that the system is working <laughs> and that independent anti-corruption enforcement can make a difference. Now, that is, that is kind of uplifting, isn't it, John Henry? Uh, for someone to say that independent anti-corruption enforcement can make a difference. I mean, that's what we try and do with this show. We try and make a difference in that. You know, that's just one of those real feel-good stories. Yeah. <laughs> it's not warm and fuzzy, you know? I mean, if they're nailing this guy and, and sending him to jail for all this shit, I mean, I think it's a good thing. But it does, say, it does also said, on the other hand, it's a, a reminder from his group's perspective that the state failed once again to create a new ethics commission with teeth in the latest budget. Now, when we talk about the state's failure to be ethical, uh, we, we, could, we could have a whole six-hour episode on just that. Uh, but despite an early pledge from Governor Kathy Holschel, <laughs> I sorry. Every time I think about that bitch, I, I got to upchuck a little bit. So uh, to make ethics reform a top priority. Yeah, sure. She was going to do that. The version that made it into the final budget agreement replaces the off-maligned Joint Commission on Public Ethics, or uh, JCOPE, with another, the Independent Commission on Ethics and Lobbying, that will still be comprised, I love this, will still be comprised of appointees picked by state lawmakers and also deans 
from the state's top law schools will be responsible for vetting the nominees. So basically, the system is going to pick its own watchers. Like, if you're, it's going to pick its own babysitter, John Henry. It's going to be like, well, we don't know if we're ethical here at the state. So let me ask my, my good buddy. Let me ask my good buddy, the dean of whatever go fuck yourself law school of New York to come and just sit and watch and make sure that I don't fuck anything up ethically. I, I think that's, that's a great plan, isn't it? Uh, now it says in quotes, powerful interest groups do not want change. Yeah, that's, that's certainly for sure. Kahaney said uh, they would rather have the rogues they know than a different system. They'd rather have the corrupt system. And here are the officials who have left office facing official misconduct charges since 2012. So I'm going to go down this list, John Henry, really fast. And let's see if we can have a, a, a connecting theme to any of this. So 2022, Brian Benjamin, of course. Uh, 2021, Andrew Cuomo. I think we're all familiar with him. Uh, 2019 and 2020, it says the downstate officials kept out of trouble during 19 and 20. <laughs> I don't believe that. Uh, but it says it was a year after the dissolution of the controversial Independent Democratic Conference, which was a group of eight breakaway Democrats led by then Senator Jeff Klein, who caucused with Republicans. Of course he did. After the majority of the members were defeated by primary challengers. Then it lists Pamela Harris, a Brooklyn Democrat, Eric uh, Schneiderman, a once well-respected former New York attorney and general uh, attorney general. I'm sorry. He resigned the same day a New York uh, a New Yorker magazine article outlined incidents of physical and mental abuse on several women he had dated, and lawmakers instantly called for his resignation. Um, in 2016 and 17, it says those two years were largely quiet in New York City region as elected officials were processing the downfall of two high-ranking officials in state government. Um, in 2015, it goes over Sheldon Silver. Sheldon Silver was one of the most powerful and long-serving assembly speakers. Silver resigned from office after he was accused of accepting some $800,000 in secret referral fees from real estate. What is it with New York and real estate guys from, from real estate developers seeking tax? What did I just fucking say about the IRS seeking tax breaks from the state? Silver, according to prosecutors, directed the developers to the law firm he was connected with, taking 25% of the legal fees for doing no legal work. All right. It says in another elaborate scheme, prosecutors said that Silver made $3.9 million in referral fees for legal work he never performed by convincing a Columbia University medical doctor to direct patients exposed to asbestos. What a fuck. To expose... To, I'm going to read that again. My God. By convincing a Columbia University medical doctor to direct patients exposed to asbestos to the law firm Weiss and Luxembourg. And in exchange, the Lower East Side Democrat, yay, directed $500,000 in state grants to the doctor. After a years-long legal court battle, Silver was found guilty and sentenced to seven years in federal prison, and he was compassionately released and died. Aw. Aw. We could have our, we could have our this week in awe and died on January 24th, 2022. He just passed away. 
Oh. So now Dean Skelos, it says, a Republican. Yeah, because there are shit cons out there too, folks. A Republican and powerful state, uh, I'm sorry, Senate majority leader um, at the time, Skelos was hit with bribery, extortion, and corruption charges after prosecutors said he used his position to get his son Adam several no-show jobs, totaling $300,000 from companies. So he pulled a Biden, but he actually got caught and prosecuted for it. Not happening to Biden, though. I wonder why. It also says John Sampson. Sampson was ejected from state Senate after he was convicted for obstruction of justice and lying to federal prosecutors. The charges stemmed from a case where Sampson was accused of stealing $400,000 in foreclosure sales. Again, real estate schemes, foreclosure sales he had conducted as a court-appointed referee. <laughs> so he abused the court, too. Sampson, a Democrat, who once served as majority leader, Representative Brooklyn, and was closely tied with then-state Senator Eric Adams. He was sentenced to five years in prison in 2017. William Boylan Jr., part of a political dynasty stretching back decades, Boylan Jr. was convicted of bribery charges he was hit with in January, I'm sorry, hit with in 2011. Prosecutors said at the time, Boylan Jr., who represented Brooklyn's 55th Assembly District, used his position to repeatedly ask for bribes from two undercover FBI. Wow, it seems like the FBI may have actually been doing its fucking job back then in 2011. Says he asked for bribes from two undercover FBI agents during uh, posing as businesses in exchange for access to other elected officials. Hmm, access. I mentioned that earlier. At one point, Boylan Jr. also said that he had, uh, had asked the agents for $250,000. And it says Boylan Jr. served six years in prison before being released on compassionate grounds in 2021. Wow. A lot of these guys get released on compassionate grounds, too. I don't like that. William Scarborough. First elected in Assembly in 94, Scarborough was, was uh, resigned after admitting to collecting over $54,000 in reimbursements from the state after handling in fake business expenses. Uh, the New York Times reported on him. He was also a Democrat who represented part of Queens, who has experienced financial difficulties and was angry that the lawmakers who earn a base salary of $79,500 had not received a salary increase since 1999. <laughs> Now, all these Democrats, John Henry, then the one or two Republicans there, um, in power for years. There's also Gabriel, uh, Gabriella Rosa, um, who resigned uh, from Manhattan's 70, uh, 72nd Assembly District uh, post in 2014 after federal prosecutors found that she had made false statements on her immigration form. Rosa immigrated to the U.S. from the Dominican Republic, later paying a man $8,000 to enter into a false marriage, according to prosecutors. Well, I wonder if they're still going after Ilan Omar over that shit because she married her brother. Hmm. wonder what the old DOJ is doing about that shit as we speak. So, Thomas Libos, uh, once the second highest ranking Republican. Okay, so we got our second Republican on the list. Uh, Labas was removed from the state Senate after a jury found him guilty of perjury. And state uh, federal investigators accused Libas of using his clout to get his son a job at a law firm in exchange for steering clients the firm's way. 
He was sentenced in 2015, and he died on May 3rd, 2016, after a five-year bout with cancer. Oh. Malcolm Smith, once, a, uh, once the Senate Majority Leader representing parts of Queens, Smith was convicted on federal bribery charges. U.S. Attorney's uh, Office determined Smith, with help from former City Councilman Dan Holleran and other past party leaders, attempted to bribe his way onto the Republican ticket for mayor in 2013. He did so by trying to obtain funds from two developers, again, fucking real estate, one of whom was actually an undercover FBI agent. Smith, in, in return, would direct transportation monies for a project in Rockland County. Prosecutors said he was sentenced to seven years in prison in 2015, unlike most officials uh, who resigned from being criminally charged with a crime. Smith stayed until he was defeated in 2014 in the 2014 primary by Leroy Comrie. Now, in 2013, Eric Stevenson, it says, a Democrat was expelled from the assembly after federal prosecutors accused him of taking more than $20,000 in bribes to assist developers <laughs> in opening adult daycare centers in the Bronx. A federal jury later convicted him. Stevenson's downfall was partly due to his former assembly colleague, Nelson Castro, who was found to have been recording conversations with the developers tied to the case. Nelson Castro. Also, the assembly uh, there noted, too, as part of the deal with prosecutors to avoid jail time on low-level perjury charges related to a voter fraud case. Castro, a Democrat, was also spared jail for his cooperation as an FBI informant in the case against Stevenson. Vito Lopez. Oh, man. <laughs> the late Democrat from Brooklyn was well-regarded in the halls of assembly until multiple investigations found he sexually harassed two women. You don't say with that kind of face. He kind of looks, doesn't he look like, um, uh, what the, doesn't he look like Fonzie? Doesn't he look like fucking Fonzie, John Henry? Henry Winkler? 100%. He looks like Henry Winkler, 100%. folks. Yeah, so if you're listening out there, this guy looks like Henry Winkler. So imagine Henry Winkler trying to diddle two women. That's what happened apparently with this Lopez guy. And he clung to his 53rd Assembly District seat after winning re-election in 2012, but he ultimately resigned after calls for his ouster uh, mounted. Now on top, of relinquishing his seat, Lopez also stepped down as chair of Brooklyn Democratic Party. He was the chair of the Brooklyn Democratic Party, and he died on November 10th, 2015. Oh. Now, Shirley Huntley, a former state uh, senator representing Queens, Huntley confessed to stealing more than $87,000 in taxpayer money intended for a charity she founded. Remember when I mentioned nonprofits? The Parents Information Network. Huntley's case was the talk of Albany after prosecutors determined Huntley secretly recorded her conversations with various state lawmakers. And then, of course, in 2012, Hyman, uh, Hiram Montserrat, uh, the former Democratic state senator from Queens, was expelled from office in 2010 after he was charged with beating his then-girlfriend uh, inside a year before. Two years later, Mons uh, Montserrat uh, pled guilty to corruption charges stemming from his previous time as New York City Council member and was sentenced to two years in prison in December 2012. Prosecutors found he inappropriately used council funds for his political campaign by steering it into a non-profit. Pedro Espada. 
The disgraced former Senate, uh, Senate Majority Leader from the Bronx was expelled from office in 2010 after he was indicted on federal tax evasion, tax evasion and embezzlement. But in 2012, a jury found Espada guilty of those charges, and for a brief moment, Espada wielded clout in the state Senate, joining a group of Hispanic legislators dubbed the Four Amigos. Nicholas Spano, a Republican. This is the last one on the list, but uh, of course, it's a Republican too, because you can never trust either party. A Republican represented Yonkers in Westchester County in the state legislature legislature for nearly 30 years. Spano pleaded guilty to underpaying his taxes for consulting work and for not claiming other sources of income. And he was sentenced to a year and a day in jail in June of 2012. But John Henry, I'm going to turn it to you for a second. Have we seen a pattern here? Have we seen a pattern <laughs> at all of, let's say, nonprofits or real estate? I mean, is, isn't this just, is, is it the general nature now? of our government, that these people are all tied into those with money. That's how they get elected is through money. And so they're constantly in that circle of corruption. What what do you think about all this? 100%. And, you know, if there's anything that we've learned, it's that nonprofits and real estate are the two easiest ways to funnel money. I mean, that's what it is. There's your delivery method. So was it last week we talked about the BLM mansion? That was uh, purchased for what three million dollars more, four million dollars more than it was sold a couple of days beforehand, just for them to funnel money. So the nonprofit buys that. There's tax benefits to it, and basically they split the profit with the real estate agent. I would imagine, um, and you'll see this time and time again. So that's all they are. Is they're just a means for them to funnel money. Uh, it's a criminal syndicate. There's no difference between this and the mafia. It is a mafia yeah. on a massive scale. And, um, gosh, a lot of corruption for these Democrats. You know, I was reading about um, Lori Lightfoot has a tough job ahead of her for her reelection. Getting people to say her name three fucking times? Yeah, you got to be out of your (laughs) fucking mind to vote for this woman. Thing, it, she, him, her, they, them, whatever the fuck it wants to be referenced as. Um, But, yeah, I mean, guys, that's what it is. is it's, It's part of the criminal syndicate. And when you see... How many, you know, the Clinton Foundation, as an example. Oh, yeah. Uh, nonprofit. Yeah, lest we forget the, the lovely Clinton Foundation, of course, too. Mm-hmm. So, guys, if you have a politician connected to a nonprofit, uh, the old radar should go up because it's probably some criminal shit going on. Wow, man. Yeah, it's just... Uh it's just crazy that uh, we have all these nonprofits, we have all these government officials being roped into this and all this real estate too. Because when I think about real estate, John Henry, I think about uh, things like Vanguard and BlackRock, and we're going to be talking about them in a moment too. So let's move on. Now, Democrat mega donor and activist Ed Buck sentenced to 30 years in prison for fatally drugging two men. Now, this one doesn't have anything to do with real estate, I don't think. So we'll talk about that, but uh, this is a I'm crazy sure Ed one here. Buck has something to do with real estate. This is a real <laughs> crazy one. Um, it's fucking horrifying. It's like fucking Jeffrey Dahmer. It is. It is. It really is, folks. Uh, so for those of you out there, this is uh, this is from Patriot Soapbox, and this is um, I'm going to do April fifteenth, twenty twenty two. 
The headline is Democrat mega donor and activist uh, Ed Buck sentenced to 30 years in prison for fatally drugging two men. But a wealthy Democrat mega donor and activist for progressive, and it says that in quotations, causes, Ed Buck has been sentenced to 30 years in prison on charges that he supplied and injected gay black men with methamphetamine in exchange for sex, leading to multiple drug overdoses and two fatalities. And what led up to Buck's arrest, it has this from Big Fish on Twitter, Dem donor Ed Buck arrested after third man's overdose, charged with operating West Hollywood drug house. And Buck had incidents on September 4th and 11th and was finally arrested. The police should also be charged, in my own opinion. This is from Big Fish. Uh, we have been saying this for months. Also, uh, this is another thing from uh, Big Fish. Just a reminder of what happened before the most recent incident. The article points out that the incompetence and the lack of action that almost caused another death by this serial killer we talked about on the STWT and at imperator truth for a long time so there's there's a link to a daily mail article there then you can find this on this week's source list folks so if you want to see these articles you want to go over these yourselves um if you want to access all the information see these videos that we watch and other things um you can sign up for our source list rather on our Substack at the new prisoner number six at Substack, or you could go over to our minds page and look for the the new prisoners over on minds and you can access that so it's free um but Scrolling down, in September of 2019, KTLA News reported on Buck's initial arrest. Ed Buck, a prominent Democratic donor and political activist, was arrested Tuesday and charged with operating a drug house and providing methamphetamine to a 37-year-old man who suffered an overdose at Buck's West Hollywood apartment last week, the Los Angeles County District uh, Attorney's Office said. Buck is charged with three counts of battery Causing Hold serious injury. <laughs> Hold on a second. Yeah. Okay. So when I say this is like Jeffrey Dahmer, I mean that genuinely. So I remember when the first person died with Ed Buck and that same exact photograph that's in the article where the guy's wearing long johns and cowboy boots and he looks like he weighs maybe 85 pounds. The guy's a fucking skeleton. So this is another person now. Now, if you go back to Jeffrey Dahmer, literally, there was a, a naked, young African-American man wandering in the fucking street, and Jeffrey Dahmer had drugged him and poisoned him, and when the police came, Jeffrey Dahmer came out and said, oh, no, no, this is my lover, and the police released this guy back to Jeffrey Dahmer where he subsequently killed him and fucking ate his body parts. Um, this is fucking craziness that we're talking about murder here. Murder. If you want to have gay sex and do drugs, eh, live your best life. Excuse me. Um, but now it's, it's literally, he's a serial killer. It's fucking insane, man. It is absolute insanity. And when we go back to what did you what was the statement earlier? No one is above the law. Yeah, no one is above the law. Well, tell me about Ed Buck then. Yeah, tell me how he's killed somebody else, and then so flippant and so bold 
to continue finding gay black guys, drugging them with meth, which is one of the gnarliest, most fucking poisonous drugs you can imagine. Oh, yeah. And subsequently killing multiple people. What a fucking failure of the justice system. Yeah, it is. And then uh, it says here, too, um, besides Buck being charged with uh, three counts of battery causing serious injury, administering methamphetamine and maintaining a drug house, officials said in a news release, it says prosecutors said Buck injected the victim with methamphetamine at his apartment in the 1200 block of Laurel Avenue in West Hollywood on September 11th. The victim suffered an overdose but survived. And Buck is known as an animal rights and LGBTQ activist who has donated to Democratic politicians and once ran for West Hollywood City Council. But past incidents, strikingly similar to Wednesday's overdose, have put Buck at the center of investigations. This most recent incident marks the third known time a man suffered a methamphetamine overdose at Buck's West Hollywood apartment. The previous two victims did not survive. The first man, a 26-year-old Jemel Moore, died on July 27th of 2017. Uh, Prosecutors cited insufficient evidence in declining to press charges against Buck in connection with Moore's death, which was ruled an accidental methamphetamine overdose. A second man, 55-year-old Timothy Dean, died of methamphetamine and alcohol toxicity on January 7th. Dean's autopsy report said he died at least 15 minutes before anyone called 911. That death was also ruled accidental. (laughs) So, it looks as if the state just kept getting these cases and going, I don't know, they're just... Gay guys just trying to have some fun, like you said, you know, living their best. Like, who are we to, who are we to interject? Yeah, hold here? on, hold on a second. <laughs> how, how big was the, was the check that Ed Buck wrote us? Exactly. Oh yeah, no, he's good. Yeah, he's okay. Yeah, he's, he's all right. Okay. <laughs> now it says court documents filed on Tuesday portray Buck as a violent, dangerous sexual predator who uses the bait of drugs, money, and shelter to lure men struggling with addiction and homelessness into his home, where he manipulates them into participating in his sexual fetishes. If you want to call that a fetish. The documents say Buck brought the latest victim to his home around September 4th and injected the man with a dangerously large dose of methamphetamine. The victim left the apartment to get medical help, concerned that he was having an overdose. So he was at least aware enough to get the fuck out of there. Good for him, though. Uh, The victim returned to Buck's apartment on September 11th, and Buck... Wait a minute. The victim returned to Buck's... It's unfucking believable (laughs) Unbelievable. This is the Stockholm Syndrome stuff and the other things about psychology, like people that go back to abusive relationships, people that go back to things that harm them, um, and drug abuse too. Like, there's a part of the human psyche, there's a part of the human brain, John Henry, I think. And this is... We're we're digressing a little bit here, I, I think, but... Isn't it part of our human nature to do these self-destructive things sometimes? It doesn't make any damn sense. It really doesn't. And it's sad to see. It's sad to see victims returning to the scene of the crime to be victimized some more. Because it's not like it, was, it wasn't enough that the guy tried to kill him with fucking meth the first goddamn time. But, you know, it's just that now they're in a situation where this guy has gone back to the house <laughs> on September 11th. 
And Buck again personally injected. You could you go back to the house and then the guy personally injects him uh, with two two large doses of methamphetamine, causing the man to suffer an overdose. Court documents say. Now prosecutors say Buck refused to help the victim and thwarted the man's attempts to get help until the man fled the apartment and called nine one one from a nearby gas station. He was taken to a hospital for treatment. A Los Angeles County District Attorney's Office news release called Buck's apartment a drug den. And a Los Angeles uh, County Sheriff's Department investigation uncovered hundreds of photographs, hundreds of photographs taken in Buck's apartment of men in, it says, compromising positions. I wonder what that means. Um, court, court records say, uh, the full scope of his consistent malicious behavior is unknown. And prosecutors said in a bail motion, it is only a matter of time before another one of these vulnerable young men dies of an overdose. Prosecutors are recommending Buck's bail be set at $4 million and he is due in court Wednesday. Well, now, let's scroll down a little bit because um, I think there's some type of connection here. Oh yeah, there it is. This is from Mike Cernovich. Here's a picture of piece of shit, Adam Schiff with his donor and also a serial killer, Ed Buck. Hey, um, <clears throat> did, didn't he also have a pretty intimate relationship with, uh, I think it's a couple. Is it, um, Phil? No. Jill? No. Uh, Kill, Killery, Killery? Uh, oh, the Clintons? <laughs> yeah wasn't he a donor for the clintons and had a very good friendship with bill and hillary clinton i mean these things don't shock me anymore john Henry, the answer is yeah you fucking right he did because <laughs> that's the first fucking thing i read in the other article i was going through yep uh, you are correct buck has been <laughs> photographed with prominent members of the democratic establishment including hillary clinton adam schiff and also, another fucking terrible, terrible congressman, Ted Lieu. What a piece of shit Ted Lieu is, too. Ah, oh, my goodness. But let's move on. Let's move on to other killers of different sorts. Hold on a second. Yeah. No, 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 no. <laughs> In these current times of, we'll call it tumultuous race relations. Mm. Do we not think that it's important that a white Democrat is a serial killer of African-American gay men? Oh, that's nothing to speak of, right? <laughs> is, is that not important to talk about that? Or is that just no big deal? Fucking scumbag, evil sons of bitches, man. Folks, I got to tell you, I mean, if you want to know what pure fucking evil is, there it is. You can look at it in its eyes. With the fucking minions standing there too. Adam Schiff, you piece of... When is he going to go to fucking prison already? Well, not to correct the you, John Clinton, Henry, but thing. the eye contact may not be possible depending on the compromised position as noted in the article. Oh, my apologies. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm sure. I'm sure there's plenty of those compromising positions where eye contact was not possible. But um, now, this from the Daily Mail. Moment. A confused looking Biden sticks out his hand and appears to shake thin air after falsely claiming in speech 
that he had also been a full professor at UPenn for four years. So not only, I mean, we know uh, the president select Biden um, as a perjurer. We know him as a liar. We know that he makes shit up. He claims, you know, uh, responsibility for things that he never did before. Um, He tells crazy stories about people like Corn Pop and Big Mama. I mean, there's a there's a whole cast of characters. I wish I could animate John Henry like um, like old Seamus does from Freedom Tunes. There, I, w- I wish I had those skills uh, because we could do an entire cartoon series about Joe Biden and all these various characters that he's mentioned over the years, and all of, all of the uh, stories that weren't actual stories that he rather made up in his patched together brain or or completely stole off of somebody else. But um, let's read on in this article. Uh, President Joe Biden looked lost again Thursday. After finishing a speech on the nation's ongoing supply chain crisis, which he's fucking causing, that's not in the article, but I'm just adding that, uh, when he turned around and stuck his hand out as if to shake hands, but there was no one else on stage. The 79-year-old president, supposedly, uh, claimed before the handshake fiasco that he had served as a full professor at the University of Pennsylvania, despite never teaching a class at the school. And yet another gaffe that has Republicans questioning Biden's cognitive abilities. Well, they shouldn't be just Republicans after that. But it says last week, Biden looked disoriented during an event that saw former President Barack Obama visit the White House for the first time since leaving office. Footage from the Thursday event shows Biden ending the speech in Greensboro, North Carolina, with the sign-off, God bless you all, before turning to his right, and seemingly saying something to the empty space behind him and miming a handshake. The Democrat proceeds to frantically look around the stage with a bewildered look on his face before beginning to wander aimlessly around the crowded auditorium. He then bizarrely turned his back to the audience, looking lost on the stage as music rolled, marking the speech's conclusion. The strange behavior from Biden, the latest of several brain lapses by the president in recent years, instantly sparked a firestorm online with many, including Senator Ted Cruz, 51, pointing uh, to the politician's most recent display of possible cognitive deterioration. So let's go down and just take a look at that. Those of you watching, President Biden shaking hands with, well, absolutely nothing there. Wow. Look at that shit. Now, also, there's him uh, turning his back to the crowd and maybe shitting his pants, looking around confused, hanging his head in shame. People there just going like, what, this guy's face? What the fuck is going on? It's, that, that's the look on that guy's face right now. <laughs> now, they have the link to the video here, but they also said in um, post-published minutes after the speech's conclusion, Cruz um, reshaped the clip of Biden Uh, the oldest ever U.S. president, with a caption that included a wide-eyed emoji. That's pretty much where we're at in political discourse these days, though. We just have wide-eyed emojis from from Ted Cruz. That's the best he's probably going to do for us, too. I've I've accepted that. But uh, where where are the White House and Biden family handlers whose job it is to make him look good, wrote Harmeet K. Dillon, a former vice chairwoman of the California Republican Party, following the display. This is truly bizarre, the Republican lawyer went on, unless they want 
him to look like a dementia patient. So this, John Henry, I'm going to throw out to you real quick. What do you think is going to happen with the midterms or before 2024 regarding this recent shit with Joe Biden, him just wandering around the stage, looking confused, shaking hands with ghosts and things like, where are we there where um, they can utilize this maybe to uh, switch in somebody else or something? Yeah. I mean, it's going to be 25th amendment for cognitive decline. We we've said this months ago, you know, I've shared that this is my personal, my, my, my personal opinion says absolutely. This is going to take place. They're not even defending him anymore. No. Like that's where um, I, I know one of the very liberal news sources. I know that's stupid to even fucking say that. You know, they gave him uh, like a fucking 70% Pinocchio because he's blaming Putin for inflation. But if you guys, um, if you're listening to our show, you've seen all of the data that shows that the infl- inflation went through the fucking roof before the whole entire Ukraine conflict started. Um, it's going to be devastating. It absolutely devastating. Even with these cheating bastards, I don't think there's any way for them to stop an absolute fucking bloodbath for the midterms. Genuinely. Uh, how can you stand behind these people anymore? I mean, it's just, it's pure insanity. If there's an ounce of logic in somebody's head, like they have to look at that and go, man, I've been rooting for the wrong fucking team. So in my personal opinion, there's no way Biden is finishing his term. There's not a fucking chance in the world, whether he dies uh, or is pulled out, you know, or resigns willingly. There's not a chance in hell he's going to make it through. There's no fucking way. And when you, when you look at how, how much of a fucking disaster it's going to be for the Dems in these midterm elections, I mean, the polling, it, it's like record-setting polling everywhere, even from liberal news sources, saying that the Dems are absolutely fucked. And, you know, the Republicans are going to retake control of everything in these midterms that they can. I mean, it's, it's going to be pretty astounding, I think. We need it, though. I mean, we genuinely need it. Well... And another thing that I, I've been doing lately um, to help catch up on news and other things um, is that you know, when I go on to some of our um, video platforms, John Henry, when I listen to a video nowadays, I'll often kick it into like 1.25 gear or something like that. And, you know, just give it a little extra boost in the speed. And when you pick up Biden, it, it, he, he actually sounds normal, <laughs> you know, when you speed him up quite a bit. <laughs> Maybe they'll just start doing that automatically. I think they Every should. Single- you know, it's funny. Um, I literally cannot, I'm incapable of listening to the X22 podcast at anything less than one and a half speed. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, I fully understand what you mean. Yeah. People have certain uh, diction. Yeah. The, the certain mannerisms and, and things, but hi, yeah. this is Dave <laughs> in the X22 podcast. It's Dave. It's fucking excruciating, but, <laughs> but let's, let's move on to, uh, Birds also disapprove of President Joe Biden. This is from Hollywood Life. <laughs> Are we going to do this as the entire bird segment? I think we probably should. We should. I, I should move. Okay. Let's, let's move. Let's move the other bird story up here. We're going full bird <laughs> segment. Birds. We're, we're switching off segments here. Going full birds. So. Now here's a crazy thing, folks. Uh, I mean, it's going to be get on the edge of your seat because when you see the retaliation to birds based on this this attack, this terrorist attack that took place. <laughs> 
Uh, yeah, I mean, it is just fucking devastating. <laughs> oh, we're there. <laughs> President Biden received an unwelcome surprise, it says, when a bird pooped on his suit as he delivered his speech on inflation and the economy. Oh, man. Now, I have the link to the gallery and the video here of it, but it said, uh, President Biden, 79, is having a crappy day. While POTUS was delivering an important message about inflation in the U.S. economy, he received more than a warm welcome from the crowd as a bird flew above and pooped right on the lapel of his dark blue suit. Although Biden didn't seem to notice at the time, which, yeah, we're, we're shocked at that one. I think a human could have taken shit on him yes. and he wouldn't have fucking noticed. <laughs> It was clearly visible for viewers who tuned in live to see the broadcast. Okay, so that's the other one. Who the fuck tuned in to view yeah. his speech live yeah. on April twelfth? Well, I mean, the guy people? can't fill. He can't fill a hundred seats. Are there more CNN Plus uh, like, fucking subscribers that? than tuned in for that speech? I think How CNN actually beat him on that. CNN? That's the one rating thing CNN can win. <laughs> 10,000 people. I was reading that Chris Wallace lost his fucking mind. Good. And literally just, which, yeah, fuck that guy. Yeah, that's what you get for the debate, um, you son of a bitch. Yeah. Yeah, fuck him. But, you know, there, there's the question, like, who goes, oh, Joe Biden's speaking. Got to make sure I don't have any other plans so I can listen to the words of wisdom he's going to bestow upon us. That's your TiVo, folks. Yeah. Set your fucking TiVo. I think it's great. All right. So um, there's there's the so, uh, here's the pooping that's going to happen here. I'm going to see if I can. If it'll let me play this. I'm going to. It's going to happen. Oh, there it goes. Got him. Yeah. Almost on his face. Almost on his face. All right. It was an attack. Now, the reason why this is relevant, too, is because um, <laughs> the world Seems to be going fucking nuts over bird flu all of a sudden. I, I believe this is retaliation for that poop attack. Yes. I mean, what is the connection between that bird? <laughs> it's not good to be a bird right it's now. It's not good to be a bird right now, folks. Hide big bird. Now they're coming after birds. I mean, seriously, once it comes out that um, the shots were just killing children and they go back after Sesame Street, big bird is fucked. Between bird flu and finding out that that Big Bird and Pfizer murdered children across the the, the entire world uh, with with their advocacy for those shots, those clot shots, um, uh, Big Bird's done. But as it says here um, uh, from KOSU, uh, as bird flu sweeps across U.S., even small backyard flocks are at risk. This is from Katie Peaks. Now, a picture of a lovely hen there. Um, that is Cherry, who is a one-year-old Cherry Egger chicken. Now, state officials and scientists are cautioning backyard flock owners to be on high alert for bird flu. The highly contagious disease has reached small flocks in Missouri, Illinois, Iowa, Kansas, and Nebraska. And in fall of 2020, Leah Schaefer ordered four chickens from a Missouri hatchery, a pandemic, a pandemic impulse purchase to get her two children outside. She says, I wanted them to have a reason to go out basically into the backyard and just have some sort of real life experience with nature instead of just computer time, which I think is admirable. Now, that's from St. Charles, Missouri, but the four hens, Gertie, Jeff, Cherry, and Rivers Cuomo, um, have been very healthy. They're energetic and they're laying eggs. But a highly pathogenic avian flu is sweeping across the country reaching commercial poultry operations and backyard flocks from Maine to Iowa, 
down to Missouri and across to Wyoming, more than 22 million chickens, turkeys, and backyard birds have died from the illness or had to be destroyed. Now, that's the part that kind of makes me scratch my head. The highly contagious viral disease, commonly known as bird flu, can be deadly to birds, including chickens. But for Schaefer, predators are a bigger concern for a small flock, which she keeps an eye on from her kitchen window. Now, it goes on about her confidence and, you know, taking care of her chickens and things like that. But I wanted to read this. Much of the attention of the 2022 bird flu outbreak has been on commercial poultry. Now, let, whom do we know that has competition and commercial food processing, John Henry? Whom do we Bill know? Bill Gates, you fat motherfucker. Yes. The largest owner of agricultural land in the United States, you son of a bitch. Everybody should eat. So let's go back to metabolic health. We talked a little bit about that horrible piece of shit in New York City. Let's talk about Bill Gates giving everybody health advice. He looks like a fat sack of shit, right? And then everybody wanted to condemn Rogan because he talked about how he's fat and had man titties. Um, Fuck that guy. Yes. Fuck him and his lab-grown meat and all of his bullshit. Fuck you and your soy and fuck you and your crickets. Yeah. Give me a steak because I'm American. At least there's some type of real animal protein in the cricket, but I'm not really down with the cricket. Oh, shut up. <laughs> fucking get the fuck out of here. I need to have crickets. <laughs> but, you know what? I could fucking see you. Oh. Just so everybody knows, number six eats in a very peculiar way. I do. He has very small bites of food, and at one point he claimed that it's because of his advanced palate. Yeah. So right now, what I'm genuinely visualizing is him sitting there with one fucking cricket on a plate, <laughs> him with his stupid little fork and knife, literally pulling one cricket leg off at a time, and going, it's nutty, a little spicy. Mm, yeah, yeah, it's good cricket. <laughs> Fuck you and your crickets. Deep fried cricket legs. Give me the meats. (laughs) (laughs) But it says here, larger commercial operations can house millions of chickens, all of which would need to be killed to keep bird flu from spreading if the virus, if the virus reached one of these larger flocks. So now the poultry industry asserts it has learned a lot since uh, the December 2014 and June uh, 2015 highly pathogenic avian uh, influenza outbreak when more than 50 million chickens in Turkey died from illness or were killed to stop the spread. <laughs> killed to stop the spread. Ah, oh, man, that, that, is, that is perfect. Um, one of those lessons had been uh, biosecurity. <laughs> this is for chickens, folks. Let me read that again. One of those lessons that they learned from the December 2014 to 20, uh, to June of 2015, that outbreak there where they killed 50 million chickens and turkeys um, to stop, they killed them to stop the spread. One of the lessons that was learned has been biosecurity. Sounds a lot like our predicament. Hey, <laughs> quick question. Um, you know, kill chickens for safety. What's... What's been the impact on poultry prices because of this? Oh, they're they're all skyrocketing. So the the meat alternatives that used to be more expensive, you know, when you go to the organic section or the fake organic section, the fake meat section of your uh, grocery store nowadays, those prices are going to be a lot closer to one another. 
just like gasoline being raised is making alternative uh, methods of transportation a lot more um, viable for people. Because when you, if you're going to look at the overall cost of operating a gasoline vehicle versus an electric one in the future, this is how they rig every single fucking racket, John Henry. And when I say they, I mean the the global corporatist oligarchy and and the governments that they that they own and operate. Uh, but yeah, I mean, this just, this fits right in, it fits in right with the pandemic. It fits in right with the supply chain bullshit. It fits in with all the manipulation of the great reset. Um, I believe our friend Silas Guthier and, uh, from Silas Speaks has talked about this too. Uh, when it comes to egg and egg farming a little, a little while back, I think we mentioned that. Um, but yeah, it says that, um, uh, the other thing is that, uh, uh what they're doing right now is that. Slinger, it says, raises about 850,000 turkeys a year from Iowa meat processor. And in May 2015, bird flu hit his family hard. He had to call 38,000 turkeys to stop the disease from spreading. The family sat without turkeys for months. Just imagine what that does to like the global food prices and food costs. Like If you had to just wipe out massive amounts of chicken and turkeys, that things that have already gotten more expensive because your dollar, folks, is now worth less than it used to be. Thank you for you know that government um, and the Fed. Um, but then we're going to talk about that in a second. But the other thing is too is that you know not only is your dollar worth less, so it's harder to buy this shit. But then also the the supply of it itself. Like even if you have the money, you still can't get it unless you're connected. So it's important, folks, and I would urge all of you out there, regardless of what area that you live in, if you have access at all to local farmers, people that produce food, or if you yourself can produce your own food, you might want to do that. But what's scary about this shit is, is that John Henry, with this scare about bird flu, is that even if you're raising your own, even if you have your own chickens and turkeys, that I fear that they can, well, it can. There could be a pandemic rather cost. <laughs> you know, here they could release if they wanted to a bird flu that could wipe out that market or just the fear of that pandemic itself, as we've seen over the past several years, of course, um, that just the fear of that alone would result in massive damage uh, to this market. So, but that, speaking of markets and other things and investments, though, let, let's move on to this article, John Henry. It's about Elon Musk. He made a few uh, few headlines this past week, and this one from CNBC. Uh, this is from CNBC TV eighteen um, as of Sunday. That's April fifteenth. Um, Elon Musk no longer Twitter's bigger biggest shareholder. Um, this group is. And it goes on to say that Elon Musk, the world's richest man, is no longer the biggest shareholder in Twitter. That spot has been taken by the fucking Vanguard Group, one of the biggest money managers in the world. And guess, guess who probably has a big stake in just the food industry itself? How many restaurants, how, many, well, how much real estate is controlled in the restaurant industry too by the Vanguard Group? How much technology, how much shipping, how much distribution, how much this or that. Even the, the processing, uh, you, when you put your fucking order in, the, 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 the little blocks that they boop at the Chick-fil-A to give you your fucking sandwich are all probably owned 
by the Vanguard Group. Everything is owned by the Vanguard Group. If you check the tag on your fucking underwear right now, John Henry, it probably says the fu- owned by the Vanguard Group. <laughs> Not wearing any. Oh man, <laughs> secret is out. <laughs> secret is out. <laughs> Shout out to Five Eleven Tactical Mission Control Underwear. Not a sponsor of the show, but since we're talking about it. Only underwear I've worn for about two years. My goodness, gentlemen, gentlemen, gentlemen. Okay. If you have the opportunity, get yourself some 511 Tactical Mission Control Undies. They are fantastic. Excellent note. All right. And now, the group has now become the biggest stakeholder, or shareholder, I'm sorry. <laughs> Freudian slip there, I guess. In the social media company, after it raised its stake to 10.3%. From 8.8%, the Wall Street Journal reported, citing a filing with the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission, or the SEC. Now, the other day, folks, John Henry and I were chatting, and I brought up the fact that I don't think the SEC, if it could do anything within its powers, it is not going to allow Elon Musk to take control over that company. It will do anything. It will do any fucking thing it can. First off, the SEC, not a big fan of Musk to begin with. And, uh, and Musk himself, I don't know if I fully trust him. Uh, uh, his family getting kicked out of a country like Canada for trying to develop a technocracy or whatever. And then him wanting to put chips in people's brains. I think he's more of the appeal of the, uh, say, brave new world more so than the alternative of the 1984-ish uh, type of uh, billionaires that we're dealing with on the opposite, if you want to call it the opposite end of the spectrum here. Um, but still, I mean, I think that what he's at least attempting to do with Twitter may be beneficial to the liberty movement if we can actually speak on the fucking platform and have people see it. Because we have several friends on Twitter that have been very kind to us, very kind by re- retweeting our, our posts you know, about our show and trying to promote us and help us out. And nobody sees that shit. Nobody sees that shit. They have thousands upon thousands and thousands of fucking followers there's no way that in any organic type of way that at least a handful of people would even see those posts, and nobody does because Twitter is fucked. But now, it says in the article, Vanguard now owns 82.4 million shares in Twitter, which makes its stake in the company worth $3.78 billion based on the latest stock price. Now, Musk, the CEO of Tesla and SpaceX, has emerged as the largest shareholder in Twitter after buying a 9.2% stake in the company, according to regulatory filings on April 4th. He had bought 73.5 million shares. Now, later, he reduced his holdings to 73.1 million shares, or 9.1%. Musk had paid $2.64 billion. $2.64 billion. To purchase the shares at a weighted average price of 36 and 0.157. So $36.157. However, with Twitter's shares hitting 45 apiece, his stake is worth more than $3 billion now. So the latest information comes a day after Musk made an unsolicited offer to buy Twitter at an offer of $43 billion or $54.20 per share. Musk said he didn't think the deal would go through and that he has a plan B without elaborating. So we have a surprise coming up here shortly, folks, I'm sure. 
But it says, I'm not sure that I will actually be able to acquire it, the billionaire said on Thursday at a TED event in Vancouver. And Musk wants to buy the company to take it private as he believes it is important that Twitter become a beacon of free speech, despite Twitter being an enterprise and not a government-run entity. So the plan B, he, re, um, he released what that was. The plan B is he's going to have other people contribute to the purchase. Mm. But it's interesting. Um, I wonder who's on Twitter. Elon's Avengers there for Twitter. I wonder. Yeah. You know, this whole thing is a little strange. Yeah. So they enacted the poison pill over at Twitter, which means that if you owned under a certain percentage you can now purchase uh, stock at a discounted rate. Yes. Um, which basically would mean that Elon wouldn't have the ability uh, to do that, to, to purchase outright. So, you know, we've talked about Elon a lot. I think there's a lot of positives that come out of that guy. But I don't know, man. Mm-hmm. Um, no, uh, I didn't see this in person. There's no video of it. But I was reading that apparently... Elon introduced Jeffrey Epstein to Zuckerberg. Oh, allegedly. Well, so, you know, there's a lot of stuff floating around out there about his past and who he is and his relationships that, uh, Elon may not be who we are. And I'm not going to say think he is bitter hoping that he is. Yeah. But how would that conversation actually go? Jeffrey Epstein be like, Hey, I can get you some underage girls. And Zuckerberg just goes beep, boop. Beep, boop, beep, boop, boop. Beep, boop, beep, 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 beep. So, <laughs> I don't know, man. It's, um, but who the fuck knows? All right, moving yeah. on. Um, I was going to say, uh, this one from The Lever is an interesting one. Um, because when it talked about Twitter, like, t- the last article ended with a statement saying that Twitter was not a government-run entity. Um, I would disagree. I would disagree that Twitter is so intertwined with the U.S. government, it is practically a government entity or a public um, type of uh, platform at this point. Uh, There is enough federal and government money that's pumped into Twitter and enough alerts and other things that are pumped into Twitter, and it's so relevant. It's even uh, put into the Library of Congress. Um, I think that's why Richard Grove, the famous researcher and uh, Grand Theft World uh, podcast, uh, host, uh, who I watch has, has claimed. So, um, but this, this is something right up his alley too. I believe the defense industry's U- Ukraine pundits. This is from, uh, Aditi Ramaswamy and Andrew Perez it says to explain the crisis, corporate news networks are leaning on hawkish ex-military officials without disclosing their current defense industry ties. So just like Twitter operates as this private platform, quote unquote, even though it fucks with all different types of military and government entities and every which sorts of ways, and even has investments from this Saudi kingdom, right? Uh, That was another thing that came out about the Musk uh, story from this past week is that the Saudi kingdom was like, no, we're not going to let Elon Musk take over there. We're going to get our our good old values in there as the Sauds. Yeah, that was uh, Prince Al-Weed. Mm-hmm. Um, who is one of the majority owners. And the question that was posed to him by Elon was how much of the Saudi government um, does, uh, does is owned with their Twitter stock. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. How much, how much of it does it actually own? Absolutely. How much sway does the Saudi fucking government have in what you see folks on Twitter? 
Because they love free speech over there, especially it. LGBTQRZ plus XYZ, where they literally throw homosexuals off the rooftops of buildings. Yeah, I believe they, they uh, when they chainsaw Jamal Khashoggi into pieces while his girlfriend waited outside in the car for him, um, I think that they had a rainbow flag in the room that they were saluting. <laughs> so, but last. Fuck, that just reminded me. I was trying to remember what there was a documentary that I wanted to watch, and I, for the life of me, couldn't remember. And it's the Jamal Khashoggi documentary on how they killed him. I bet you that would be a good one, man. You're going to have to send me a link to that shit. I will find it, sir. Very good. So it says here last week, CNN brought on former U.S. Defense uh, Secretary Leon Panetta for his fourth recent appearance to talk, and once again about Russian President Vladimir Putin's deadly invasion of Ukraine. I think we need to understand that there is only one thing that Putin understands, and that's force, said Panetta. Oh, wow. The former CIA director added, oh, do you need to know any fucking more than that? The former CIA director added, I think the United States has to provide whatever weapons are necessary to the Ukrainians. Of course you do, you asshole. Uh, So that they can hit back and hit back now. At no time did Panetta nor CNN mentioned that he's a senior counselor at Beacon Global Quick interjection. Yes. My apologies. No worries. So if you folks haven't seen the documentary uh, Icarus, a uh, gentleman's name is Fogel. That was a good one. He's the same one that made the Khashoggi documentary, and it is called The Dissident. Mm. Yeah, that was a very good one, Icarus. I enjoyed that a lot. Uh, phenomenal. Yeah, that's up there. If you learned about Russia's state-run doping, wow. Yeah, that and... Uh, Bigger, stronger, faster, if you want to do any type of uh, research or you know, glimpse into that world of steroids and abuse and those sort of things. And that's by uh, the Bell Brothers. And mm-hmm. then also Prescription Thugs was another one we've referenced on the podcast multiple times about Big Pharma. Oh, yeah. By the same director of Bigger, Stronger, Faster. Good stuff. All, all good stuff. Now, as I said, at no time did Panetta... Nor CNN mentioned that he's a senior counselor at Beacon Global Strategies, a defense industry consulting firm that has reportedly represented weapons manufacturer Raytheon. Oh, we've heard of them plenty of times before. The firm doesn't disclose its clients, but Raytheon and the defense industry generally stand to benefit from the conflict in Ukraine. The episode is part of a broader pattern and practice, it says in the article, since Russia launched its invasion of Ukraine. Cable news networks have routinely called on defense officials turned consultants to offer analysis and help the American public make sense of the crisis. Often, these analysts have used their TV time to call for greater U.S. involvement and bolder moves that could ratchet up tensions between two nuclear-armed superpowers. The networks have consistently failed to disclose these analysts' day jobs, describing them instead by only their former high-ranking military or government roles— See that that turnstile there in and out the incestuous uh, relationship in these places that we've noted over and over again. It is all one mafia and we're not a part of it, right? Leaving viewers in the dark about the analysts' financial ties to defense contractors that stand to profit from increased or prolonged conflict. Now, it says that during its Ukraine coverage, MSNBC, where Jen Psaki is going to go to, even failed to include Disclosures when the network invited on former Homeland Security Secretary Jay Johnson, who serves on the board of directors at Lockheed Martin, the world's biggest defense contractor. 
And then when asked about the batter, Johnson told the lever, I have no comment. They don't have to answer to us. We're just the people. Fuck all you. We're, we're weapons manufacturers. We convince you to have your sons and daughters and whatever they want to call themselves nowadays in the military, of course, go over to foreign nations and be part of these forever regime change wars that are just going to enrich us and generations of our families while your family suffers. Um, and this has been the same for Afghanistan and the war in Iraq and Yemen and fucking every other place that we've ever gone to. Um, so, but moving on, in quotes, this type of revolving door behavior, <laughs> there we go, should be prohibited for military officials to serve in a private capacity representing military contractors, uh, this person told the lever. Uh, now, if not prohibited, it should be disclosed to everyone. So when they're going on television, Trying to affect Biden's policy on whatever war they have in mind, they ought to be straightforward. I have an idea. Let's borrow one from NASCAR, John Henry, and have them wear those little fucking suits with all the little emblems on them that all, from all of their sponsors. So when they go, and I'll scroll back up here to the top here, you can see in all four of these little blocks, for those of you watching, and for those of you listening, in all four of the blocks, Leon Panetta, former Secretary of Defense, he's on MSNBC. Jay Johnson is an NBC News contributor. Uh, we have Jeremy Bash. He's a national security analyst. He's on MSNBC here. And then Michelle Flordnoy, who is a former Undersecretary of Defense for Policy, and she served from 20, uh, 2009 to 2012. And she is also on MSNBC. Wow, what a connection to NBC and the military-industrial complex. Well, that hasn't been around for fucking decades either, has it? But anyways, scrolling down here, it says, though, uh, the phenomenon is not new. An analysis of three weeks of news, just three weeks of news coverage following last year's U.S. troop withdrawal from Afghanistan, fairness and accuracy in reporting are fair, found that 20 of the 22 featured guests from the U.S. on the network Sunday shows had ties to the military-industrial complex. 20 out of 22. And the other two are probably fucking suspect, John Henry. <laughs> At that point, too, the TV networks regularly neglected to disclose their guest ties to the defense industry. But the stakes are now much higher. Military conflict between the U.S. and Russia could make for a world-ending disaster, which is why the Biden administration has been reluctant to take major actions that could be perceived as escalatory. But... The Ukraine crisis and the potential for greater conflict have been a goldmine for defense contractors, sending stocks skyrocketing and prompting sharp increases in defense spending. So it says, since the start of the Ukraine crisis, U.S. defense stocks and leading companies like Raytheon, Northrop Grunman, and Lockheed Martin have surged, and they're expected to continue rising in the coming months. And in the wake of Russia's invasion, President Biden signed into law a spending package that directs a record-breaking $782 billion towards defense, almost $30 billion above his initial request. And remember, because of that, they don't have any more monoclonal antibodies for your ass. <laughs> We don't even have enough to buy the shots that don't work that we've already told the all the pharmaceutical companies, you know, the government's business partners, that we were already going to buy. 
we have to pull more money out of your paycheck to pay for all that shit. So um, the rest of this article is great. It just goes on to listing a whole bunch of more scenarios and people involved in all of this shit. But uh, I'm just going to move on for the sake of time, John Henry. Um, people can visit that on our source list this week. This one's from Rebel News. And just to wrap up our little segment about the Ukraine conflict now, so we've been following this story the past couple of months. French journalist claims Americans are in charge in Ukraine. The quote is, I found myself facing the Pentagon. It says, in quotes, and who is in charge? It's the Americans. I saw it with my own eyes, claims George Mal, Mal Bruno. I thought I was with the international brigades and I found myself facing the Pentagon. Now, this is from Ian Miles Chong, um, who I, I follow on Twitter. He's, he has a good page there. It's from April 12th. But it says, a French journalist and senior international correspondent for mainstream publication Le Figaro, George uh, Malbruno, uh, claims that Americans are in charge of the Ukrainian war effort on the ground. That Malbruno, who returned from Ukraine after he accompanied French volunteer fighters on the battlefield. First off, if you're in France and you got a volunteer to go help out in Ukraine, what the fuck are you doing with yourself, bro? Like, you're paying attention to the wrong shit. But either way, like you went over there and they're discovering now that because of that, that he was surprised to find that, that Americans are commanding efforts on the ground. The journalist made his remarks to French global news channel uh, CNews, the second most watched news network in the country. So this is big shit. Uh, this isn't just some conspiracy theorist on the internet, guys. And it says in quotes, I had the surprise and so they, so did they to discover uh, I'm ta- I think he's talking about the, um, the French uh, volunteers going over there, that he had the surprise and so did they to discover that to be able to enter the Ukrainian army, well, it's actually the Americans who are in charge. Now, it also says um, further down that Malbruno asserted that he and the volunteers he was accompanying were almost arrested by the Americans, whom he said were in charge. Malbruno claims that the volunteers were forced to sign a contract agreeing to fight until the end of the war. Wow. That's, that's a document I wouldn't sign either. And the, in quotes it said, and who is in charge? It's the Americans. I saw it with my own eyes, claimed Malbruno. I thought I was with the international brigades and I found myself facing the Pentagon. Now, it says, Malbruno pointed out that America has been providing Ukraine with armed switchblade suicide drones. Those sound fun, as reported uh, by Rebel News. And on April 10th, the U.S. Defense Secretary Lloyd Austin shared a photograph of himself speaking to Ukrainian soldiers training on how to use the cutting edge weapons on a video conference call. So this is Lloyd Austin. Who, remember Lloyd Austin, who used to wear three masks and a face shield and still got COVID after his fucking booster shot? Yes, that Lloyd Austin. The same Lloyd Austin who appeared in front of Congress after the, the Afghanistan fuck up and leaving people there to die along with all of our allies. Yep, fuck all those people too, apparently, from the U.S. military. That Lloyd Austin. So, I just wanted to say, like, this is, this is nuts. U.S. Defense Secretary Lodosin speaks to Ukrainian soldiers training on switchblade drones in Biloxi, Mississippi, before they return today to defend their country. 
we're running this racket. Smedley Butler was right, folks. And if you don't know who Smedley Butler is, please look him up. Smedley Butler uh, was asked to lead a coup on his own country, and he turned it down. He's an American hero, and he pointed out rightly that war is a racket. And this is certainly a fucking racket. From the previous article that we just read to you folks about all these defense contractors trying to push people, trying to propagandize people into war, trying to get our approval, trying to just, you know, just as uh, you know, Noam Chomsky would say, you know, just, just to get our consent, <laughs> to engineer that consent for us. Um, they're taking French people over there that are actually going and serving on these battlegrounds, and they're finding out the awful truth that it's us the fucking evil empire, the bad guys behind it all. So I'm going to go on. Speaking of bad guys in an evil empire, can you get any more bad guy-ish and evil empire-ish than our fucking central banking systems here? Can we get any worse than these fucking creatures, than these uh, hitchhiker guide to the galaxy fucking creatures like Janet Yellen, who says the recent IPCC reports claim, uh, I'm sorry, confirm that our window of opportunity to leave our planet worthy of our children and our grandchildren is even closer to being permanently shut. We must redouble our efforts to decarbonize our economies. Now, she doesn't explain how the fuck you do that. She doesn't explain the potential harm. You could say, yeah, to, to, to stop the spread, we need to kill all the turkeys. Well, what's the side effect of that? To stop the spread, we need to lock you and your kids and all you, all you, you shut down your businesses. We need, we need to fucking find Arthur Pulowski and throw him in jail. We need to do all that. Well, what's the fucking side effect? No mention of that. No mention of that at all. Well, you know what the side effect of that's going to be? A digital currency. Because to decarbonize our economy, John Henry, you're going to fuck up our economy. Because literally everything that you do that creates anything in the economy creates carbon. This is a clear entry point for them to take control. And when I say them, I mean the global corporatist oligarchy, to take control over everyone's economy around the world and institute not only a digital currency, but a digital currency that could be used to institute their social credit system. What say you, John Henry? What do you, what do you have to say about this creature, Janet Yellen, now? One, I would just like to say that her hair... Oh, yes. Um... You got to be fucking evil to have that hairdo. Yes, you do. Yes, you do. <laughs> Folks, I'm sick of fucking repeating myself. Klaus Schwab, Chase Bank, or Barclays Bank already has the carbon-based credit card. It's coming. It ain't about the fucking carbon, guys and gals and others. It is about control. Is it about limitation, restriction? When our currency is based on your carbon footprint, that means that you cannot spend your money because your money is not your money and never was your money. We're in the matrix. You are a nothing but a fuel source. So, of course, this is the direction we're going. Every fucking week we have to talk about this. Every single week we talk about this. And it's they, they push it. And they're pushing it and pushing it and pushing it. And now we're back to the old climate. By the way, did you see the big fine they just paid for killing all the eagles with the windmills? 
I heard about that. I didn't read anything about it though. Um, yeah. And it's disgusting. It's really disgusting. Like the, the wind farms and all the things. All, I heard about bats too, Whoa. that it destroys, it blows up their lungs when they get, because of the pressure, the air pressure that they. Yeah. Use. Here's the thing. Um, it's their attack on the American Eagle because they hate birds. Mm. So shouldn't surprise anybody. There really is a war on birds. We're going to have to talk um, more about that maybe. But um, <laughs> let's talk about let's talk about this last just to wrap up the show uh, for this week too, John Henry. Just to talk about a little bit about COVID stuff. The White House has gotten caught again in another lie about Kamala Harris. This is from Patriot House, Patriot House News. Um, this is from April fifteenth. If you haven't figured out, Washington can't seem to get it, itself straight on the current CDC guidelines and mask regulations, even though it is our national leaders there. Who influence such rules. And now their lack of respect for those rules and the American people in general just got them into some rather hot water again. And as you well know, the White House just celebrated a rather historical moment this past week with the confirmation of the first African-American woman to the Supreme Court, Ketanji Brown Jackson. And as this woman just happens to be of the liberal variety, there was much to do about it. And says, naturally, this included the participation of Vice President Kamala Harris, also a first of both her race and gender. The only problem is that, as usual, Harris didn't follow the rules she's helped put in place and enforce. Basically, she didn't wear her mask. Now, in the article, it says, gasp, I know, it's such tragedy. Not. But, like most of the American people, I care very little if, if someone is wearing a facial mask these days. If they choose for their own or other safety, that is up to them. Just like it is up to me whether or not I get vaccinated. I really like this, this guy. But it says the problem comes when those who claim that they are following the rules and have even helped create them don't. And according to the CDC's current signage on the issue, Harris was definitely supposed to be wearing a mask. The problem is, is that the White House not once but twice lied about whether or not Harris did or didn't follow the rules. So as you see on Wednesday, it was reported that the Hill, uh, by the Hill that Harris, communications director, had tested positive for COVID. Oh, wow. So these people, John Henry, that live in a, in a place that has the strictest of COVID protocols, that have the earliest access and the easiest access to any treatments, any type of vaccines, they're the first one to get the boosters, they have them on fucking television, they all get COVID. They all do. So it doesn't really matter if they do anything with their fucking mask. But regardless, also it says, uh, <laughs> it says that, and that means that Harris had been exposed. Now, Harris kisses, this isn't in the article, but Harris kisses her husband with their masks on, but didn't have it on here. Outside, nonetheless. <laughs> but now she no longer has to quarantine as she once did. She doesn't even have to quarantine for 10 days. How much of a bogus thing has it become that we're, we're at a place now, and we talked about this last week, John Henry, that we read off a list of prominent Democrats and political figures of all different varieties from all over the country, from Mayor Muriel Bowser from DC to Mayor Eric Adams, who I mentioned earlier on the podcast today. I mean, there is a whole list of uh, Nancy Pelosi. They all got covid that would have been that the earth would have stood still. Like everyone would have stopped. If that would have happened in 2020, people would have lost their fucking minds. People would have accused Trump of probably poisoning them with the COVID. 
to try and kill all of them before the election. Like there would have been madness. Nowadays, doesn't even make the front page. People don't even give a fuck. People don't care. They don't care if they if she has her stupid mask on, but they still lie about it. And that's, I think, the most frustrating thing, like out of all this, is that they're still fucking lying to us. And you know what? Speaking of which, I'm just, instead of reading these stupid uh, fucking quotes uh, from the press secretary and other things, I'm just going to, I'm just going to end the, the show with this right now, John Henry. Shanghai residents clash with police after home seized for COVID quarantine. This is the result of the continued lies. It's not, it's not whether or not, it's not the debate whether or not somebody was following the CDC guidelines. It's not somebody wore the mask or stood you know, less than six feet apart or any of those things. It's about the side effects. This is the side effects of continued lies. And one of those continued side effects is, is that when you continue living in a lie, they continue fucking lying to you. <laughs> so if a government like the Chinese can say, hey, we're going we're gonna to prevent harm. We're going to prevent the spread of this virus by locking down. We're going to prevent death by locking all these people down. They're going to be capable of committing such horrible atrocities to their own people. And the ripple effects around the world from the disruption, from the supply chain, of, of, in, just alone from Shanghai is going to cause more death too. And you know what? If we accept their lies, just like Jordan Maxwell said, if we do accept this, we deserve it, don't we, John Henry? If we accept this bullshit. Absolutely. And, you know, you want to talk about a side effect. <clears throat> Mass suicides there right now. Yes. Folks, just so you understand the scope of this, 26 million people are locked into their homes and can't even go to the supermarket to get food. They are starving them to death. People are throwing themselves off the balconies. The encampments for these people. You want to get freaked the fuck out? I mean, earlier we were talking about the drones with the guns on them. Watch the video footage from the drones telling people stop wanting freedom. And the dog drone, the, you know, the dog robots running around with speakers on them, um, repeating that. It, it's absolutely fucking terrifying. 26 million people locked in their homes. And they're also, I mean, do you remember at the beginning of the pandemic when they were welding people's houses shut? How many people do you think are dead there that were welded into their homes in China? That their bodies have just been sitting. It's, it's insane. They're killing all the pets. Oh, yeah. I, because they're saying the pets can do that. I didn't include that in this week's source list because. Um, Fuck, man. I can't. I can't. I, I mean, literally, they're, they're beating dogs to death with shovels. And have taken everybody's cats and thrown them into burlap sacks or these mesh sacks. And they're in piles on the streets to die. How's that for fucking psychological warfare and torture and pushing you to comply? This is what we'll do if you don't listen. That It is fucking insane. I, I pray for the people in China. Pray for them in Shanghai. I mean, it is absolute insanity right now. So, folks, keep these people in your prayers, man. Yeah. I mean, it is, it's just absolutely terrifying to see that we are now post-pandemic, yet that's what they're doing. Do you think they're doing it there because of their zero COVID policy? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. I mean, it's insane. You know, on top of that, China's holding drills around Taiwan. This isn't good, man. 
This is uh, this is a terrifying time. So, you know, pay attention, educate yourself, see what we're talking about. Go online and find the videos of what's taking place when they're coming in and pulling people out of their homes. Children, children are in COVID encampments now. Uh, it's they're taking people's babies away. I mean, it is it is just like nothing I've ever seen before. It's if you think that what you dealt with throughout this pandemic was severe, take a look and see what's going on in China. And you are fucking kidding yourself if you think that they won't do that to us too. Genuinely. That's my final thoughts. Guys, stand up straight, stay strong, talk to your neighbor. Just be, be the most powerful version of yourself you can be. You know, spread the good word, have conversations with people, enlighten people on what's taking place around the world. And um, let's just fight the good fight, man. We got to hang in there. The midterms are coming, guys. Fight the good fight. Um, you know, if you have a candidate that you're rooting for, canvas for them support them donate make phone calls just do anything you can we are fighting for our lives right now truly appreciate everybody that's coming in thank you to all the new listeners we love you guys please share you know like it share it do whatever you can you know we're here to do this for you so uh, we appreciate every single one of you guys stay strong thank you john henry and and just to kind of wrap this whole idea up uh as, as we end this podcast a quote from the article here, uh, the live stream uh, of this, because apparently Thursday as residents clashed with the police over government's decision to convert their homes into COVID quarantine facilities, a video shared widely on Chinese messaging platform WeChat showed residents of Zhenjiang uh, 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 compound in the eastern Pudong district clashing with 30 hazmat suit-wearing police officers as they pleaded with the officers to let them remain in their rented apartments. And the clash broke out on Thursday after police moved in to convert nine residential buildings in the compound to temporary isolation facilities. And this has been reported by the Financial Times. The live stream has been watched by more than 10,000 people was abruptly cut by WeChat as censors announced that the clip contained dangerous content. The same excuses that they give us here for censoring us here in America. And this last quote from a resident there, it says, it's not that I don't want to cooperate with the country, but how would you feel if you live in a building where the blocks are only 10 meters apart, everyone has tested negative, and these people are allowed in, said the woman making the video before it ended. We only have a limited window to put the stream out there. We only have a limited window to get the word out there so that everyone, so that all of us, so that all of you can react and do something about it, just as John Henry mentioned. So every week as we gather, every new Tuesday, every new episode, every Tuesday with us here at The New Prisoners, we're going to be talking about how we get that message out and what that message is going to be, and what we're going to do about this shit. But one thing is, is that we have to end the censorship. We cannot allow companies like Google, Apple, Microsoft, and many others to control our public discourse any longer. Because when it comes down to it, if our government wanted to do this to us, the infrastructure for doing so is already there. The only thing stopping it is us. So until we meet again, and until we are free, 
We are the new prisoners. Thank you for listening to The New Prisoners. Let us know what you think about this week's topics on our Minds page and Substack, or leave a comment under our video on BitChute, Odyssey, Rumble, and Brideon. You can also risk being shadow banned, suspended, or permanently banned on Twitter and Instagram with us, or speak freely with us on Gab. Please feel free to share your own sources with us, and remember to share the information we provided you here. You never know what kind of difference it could make. If you'd like to be a guest on the show, email the new prisoner number six at protonmail.com. Provide a brief description of the topic or topics that you would like to discuss, and a screener will contact you. You can always choose to appear anonymously. And you can also donate to the new prisoners through anchor.fm slash the new prisoner number six slash support. There, you can make a monthly donation of $0.99, cents, $4.99, or $9.99. We also have a Subscribe Star, where you can make a one-time or recurring contribution at subscribestar.com slash the hyphen new hyphen prisoners. Or you could donate US dollars and crypto to us on Mines and Odyssey. All donations go towards studio upgrades to make more content and advertising to spread the word about the show. Every amount is appreciated. Demand answers, not orders. We are the new prisoners.